0: Welcome to the Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Gillette. Joining me, of course, as always, is Christopher Palomares. James Lincoln will be joining in the call a little bit later. He actually had to work today, can you imagine? So we're going to be talking with uh, Gary Christensen. Now, in case that name does not ring a bell, when you are in the MRH discussion forums, and uh weekend photo fun you find Gary's posts there all the time uh this month when you go to the uh latest issue of uh, MRH one of the feature articles is rust bucket weathering and that's where Gary comes from he is an expert whether, or Gary, we are really glad to have you on the program today.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's the feature article and everything in, in MRH and uh, uh, got some upcoming stuff done with Ken Patterson. I figured by the time August rolled around, everybody'd be tired of the name Gary Christensen and the model railroading hobby.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> think so. Uh, I was really, as much as I've always been impressed by the, the subtlety of your work, uh, when you did this Sulan boxcar and illustrated on there how you do your, your fades and your bleeds, mm. I went, wow, man, the light went on because yeah. I use pigment and oil myself. And right. I've always admired what you do and keep well, striving you. to, uh, to emulate what you're doing. So how about, uh, giving Chris and I and the listeners just a little background as to who Gary is and how you got this uh website and everything going
1: do you want to know clear back my interest in trains or do you want to start with just basically where the website can for the website
0: well i tell you what let's come this side of birth Uh, okay (laughs) all right (laughs) just uh, where the yeah go ahead how'd the bug of trains uh hit
1: well okay i was born in la you know and and basically um I lived in the San Fernando Valley, not far from the Gemco at Southern Pacific Gemco Yard in Van Nuys, maybe maybe five miles from there. My grandparents lived out in Chatsworth, and that line from Los Angeles runs up out through Chatsworth over Devonshire, and of course up the uh, what's called the um, coastline. So. Growing up around that area, now I think there was a spur line out near actually Victory Boulevard, kinda of close where I lived, and I used to kinda of ride my bike and go look at the, the rolling stock box cars and all this stuff over in that area. And I remember going to Jemco with my dad and then of course when I stayed out with my grandparents years ago, I would go up into the hills around Devonshire and watch the trains go through all the you know, the series of tunnels up in there. And it was just I was just awestruck by them. Of course, then later on dad saw my interest in that and uh and built the 4 by 8 got me a 4 by 8 she had plywood in the garage, the obligatory, you know, plywood empire began, and uh, like everybody else, and so I just kind of started about a Tyco train set at the age of nine, and I was in love with trains ever since, and then uh, they relocated, we moved out of L.A. when I was about 13, and to my veteran, I said better, my, my interest in the trains, they moved real close to uh, Colfax, California, which is directly on the Donner subdivision, and which is, you know, the Transcontinental Railroad is there you know, that's the still the same line. And so I was around there constantly in high school. My friends I used to ditch class and go hang out up on uh, Cape Horn and there's a tunnel thirty three around the top of Cape Horn and we used to our goal was to tramp and try to ride and get out rides on FP on freight equipment and it never happened up on Cape Horn, but we were hanging around the yards. Uh Colfax used to be a helper slot for the Southern Pacific. It had I think two helpers in there, FD-45 T2s, and they also kept their snow down there, some of the flangers, And once in a while, you see a spreader down there with the back then it was SP9E's that we were using for uh, snow fighting up on the summit. So we could crawl around and go look around all over there, and the, the bug just kept, you know, trains, 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 trains. And then finally, uh, when I joined the military, when I was 17, back in 79, both my best friend James and his cousin had wired me while I was stationed in Germany, they finally had caught a, a train a train ride. They caught a you know Southern Pacific freight train down to uh, Barstow. Down to on that uh, down toward uh, Colton and that you know West Colton. Anyway, so when I got back out of the military and I was done, did my service, they finally talked me into doing it. and I was we went down to Rosalie Yard, which was the biggest Southern Pacific, a classification yard, I guess, in Northern California at that time. It's not on the Western West Coast. And we used to hang around the yards, and we would listen to traffic through scanners and try to figure, out the, to figure out the jargon and everything. And it became like this real hobby of ours, basically, be like riding the freight trains on Southern Pacific when it was. So, of course, uh, you know, I, I had done that for years. You know, we cataloged, a lot of photographs doing that, and it was a lot of fun, a lot of adventure, we used to ride the ones up to, uh, I think it's nine, the Valley Line, or the, the I-5 line they call it out of Roseville at the Y, and it goes up north towards Dunsmuir. We were always trying to get to Oregon. And, uh, it just, uh, it was just like a great hobby, and, and then of course, you know, we, you know, all went our separate ways after we got married and everything else, and, uh, it seems like every time I kind of like disfavored those, those memories, and then at some point in the late, Oh, mid actually mid '90s. I started kind of purchasing models, and I was trying to relive those memories by modeling a lot of that area. And you know, I was going to do a layout again, you know, representing the Donner Sub or any of that type of thing. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. And I, uh do you want to know us from there, or do you want to? <laughs> that that's kind of like my interest in trains. It was always, you know, I lived around them all my life in the Southern Pacific, so that's that's why I'm always been fascinated with them.
0: Okay, so. You started buying models, mm-hmm. and uh, I can identify with that. Uh, how did the the weathering uh, evolve? Okay, how did that happen to where it is today? Okay, this this
1: also kind of weird. It stems back to when I was a kid as well. I remember when I had the the Taiko layouts. I've always had kind of a. I've done other artwork. I used to do oil paintings and. Well, I kind of had an artistic thing. I used to draw in school and everybody was out on the playgrounds. So I'd be in like the classroom still drawing and that was kind of like an interest in my drawing pictures and I wanted to draw Norman Rockwell was a, was an absolute phenomenon in my world. I, I had books I every mean, night. I studied Norman Rockwell's work and I admired the fact that he did everything so precise. I mean, in his paintings, if there was a cigarette butt on the ground, he painted that in the picture and just that detail was, I, so I always was attracted towards very detailed type of I wanted things to look real and I remember when I was a kid having this tyco this layout. I had I had the silly like you know Star Kiss tuna cars and the jello pudding, you know, those kind of things and I I didn't <laughs>
2: like you know, I,
1: I didn't like that stuff. It didn't look real. I'm like, when have you ever seen a real like jello pudding car go by or, you know, Purina Cat Chow this kind of thing? So I I remember for one Christmas I asked my grandmother, I said, I I gotta have something that looks real, grandma, and they gotta get like the box car brownish red type of box. And I remember she bought me a little forty foot Santa Fe, like one of the earlier AAR single doors. Uh and, but it was had a Santa Fe Herald, you know, the ATSF Herald and it was that boxcar brownish red and I was stoked. I'm like, that's what I want to do. So it's always kinda of been with me to just to go for that realistic I wanted I wanted to represent railroading as I saw it, not you know, star kiss tuna cars going by. So when I was older, like we talked about I started purchasing models, I was getting some of the cheaper like roundhouse or NBC cars. For you know, cost you know three bucks, four bucks, that kind of thing. They were then, and I would take them home, and I was frustrated beyond words, Paul. I can't even I can't even describe how frustrated I was trying to figure out how to weather these things. I was taking like um, testers, enamels with paint thinner and gasoline, all gasoline to try to thin down. And it just was a mess. It was a mess, and, but I wasn't going to let go. I wasn't going to stop. I'm like, I got to figure out how to do this, okay? Well, after a while. I kind of became frustrated it wasn't happening and I started leaning more towards like I was going to build a layout at some point and then I started constructing, um like buildings and stuff. I was still kind of subscribing, I was subscribing to Model Railroader and RMC and some of the publications that were out there and then here comes Pele Soberg and I looked at his layout, the Dango layout, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. This guy right here is I mean the quintessence of what I wanted to do my, and his representation of like California, the Southern California desert, everything was just right on time.
0: What's and the became, timeline? What can you what date was that? Well,
1: On Pele stuff or what I wanted to model?
0: The uh the Pelle influence.
1: I think it was basically the early nineties, late nineties type of thing. Okay. His, yeah, but his his equipment, the 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 you know, the KFCs, the dandies, the things how we see America as it is today, that's what I wanted to model. So I was kinda of starting to lean towards building Strats building small, like, contemporary business type, uh, buildings and stuff that for the future layout, layout, yeah. pardon me, layout I was going to build at some point. Of course, the rolling stock I wanted more contemporary, and I wanted to do the, the heavy weathering and graffiti like you see on, you know, contemporary stuff. So that's why I said I started buying some of these cars, but I wasn't getting I couldn't figure out how they were doing it. I, I was laying down paint on these. Let's just, for an example, I bought a, uh, like a $5 Golden West service, like, high-key plug door car. And I remember coming home, sitting at my workbench, and I brought out the testers. In fact, it was a rust color. I went to the the hobby shop and bought. It It was like testers rust. That was the name of the color of the of the the paint. It was enamel. And I remember going home and trying to paint this stuff on there, and the surface of the model was so oily. It was like the paint was beating up on on the thing. And I'm wiping it around, and I couldn't get it. It's like, what is going on here? I can't get this. You know, and pretty soon, listen to this. I actually resorted to using like soot from a lighter (laughs) to you know get dirt dirt and grime or some kind of grime on the model and then you know i got stirrups melting and everything else so it wasn't a very (laughs) it wasn't wasn't a very fun experience in the beginning but i wasn't going to give up but i did at some point i was working more and concentrating more on the little buildings for my future layout and the weathering kind of fell to the wayside but i boxed everything up still had whatever junk carved i did out in some boxes in the garage and then one day in uh for whatever reason, I got to clean up my garage. I moved I'd moved from or- uh, to Oregon and brought all this stuff with me. I'd been married, got, had my first child with my wife, and, and I remember going to my garage and I, I found these boxes of trains over in the corner, and I started going through them like, oh, my gosh, look how horrible these things look. They're horrible. You know, I turned out trying to weather them, and they were just awful. And I, was, I went on my vacation from work, a week vacation, and uh, my wife was working too at the time. So I had like the whole week off basically to watch my little boy, and, and I was going to play with these trains. I was digging them out of these boxes and I was trying to clean them up as best as possible. And I started all over again trying to figure out how am I gonna how am I gonna weather these things. I, I don't like how these things look and I wanna like some realistic looking stuff here. Yeah. So it just so happened that I was my the store I was working at, I worked in a retail store and I you know, some of the customers came in, there was a fellow from a bookstore that came in and he uh he asked me one day, I said, I heard you're into trains. I'm like, Yeah and he goes, uh, I've got mountains of model old model railroad or magazines and RMCs. Would you like them? I'm like, are you kidding? Yeah, so he brought in literally, like, box loads of these things. I remember while I was on this vacation, I sat out on my deck reading through some of them. And this is kind of funny. It's like with that whole, like, shaft of license breaking through the clouds. I was reading some little articles, and I happened upon this one article in Model Railroader where this guy was modeling a little tiny like, Chrysler LeBaron or some little, you know, HO-scale car, okay?
3: Yeah.
1: And he was putting license plates on, and he started talking about the weathering apps, kind of weathering the car. And I kept reading down and down. I'm like, all of a sudden he says, I gave it an initial missing of dull coat to give the the, uh, the artist medium. to gave the, the the dull coat gave the model tooth or spike to hold the medium. And all of a sudden, the bell you know the lights went off. There it was, there it was. That was the missing element when I was trying to weather earlier. Where the the paint was beating up and the oils you know the oily surface of the model. Everything started clicking like dull coat. I got to get me some dull coat. Okay. Well, from there on is basically history. I bought a thing of dull coat and. uh, I remember I found, I discovered Mellow Mike's website. I'm not a big name dropper, but I'm going to go ahead and say it on the show because he was a big influence. I, I admired his work from, I still do to this day. I think the guy's a fantastic artist.
0: Um, now, was this?
1: Mellow Mike. He's good by Mellow Mike. Oh, okay. He, yeah, he has a website, and he like, galleried his work, and I've like, always appreciated his skills, and I remember seeing he had a cotton belt center flow on there. It just, just blew me away. just blew me away, Paul. I was like, wow. That car, I, I've never seen tons of it. I want to model one just like he did. So I sat there one day with a computer monitor. I didn't have a printer yet, and I just remember with the monitor on, staring at that thing and trying to basically emulate what he did. But I still was kind of frustrated not having the, the, the success that I was hoping for. But with the dull code, I was making some headway. I, you know, the, the mediums I was laying down on the models was, was sticking, and I was staying there and beginning to work them. And from there, Basically, I, uh, I tried to explore a little bit further into, like, other artists. I started surfing the web a little bit more about weathering model trains. Maybe there's some other help out there. Well, I just happened across, I typed in, I Googled one day, models, uh, weathering model trains. And up came Model Trains Weathered, which was a forum site hosted by Rich DeVizio. Chris, right here, Chris was a moderator on there. I remember when I got on, found he was like, you know, by Shoe Fly on there. But on the cover of the, the website of Model Trains Weather they had a little slideshow, and they were showing some of the, what was inside. And I think it was a private, it might've been a private membership or Rich was going to pull the plug on membership. But right around the time I wanted to join up. Well, I saw a model done by Jeremy St. Peter. Okay. It was a Grand Trunk Western, original Grand Trunk Western, Evans double plug door 53 foot RBL. And he had, uh, he had been patched for the Iowa Traction Railroad. And he did, uh, and I can't even describe this car literally knocked me out of my chair. When I saw it come off in the slideshow. Well, the slideshow wouldn't stop enough. You couldn't stop it to, like, really get ideas or look at the model long enough because I went to the next picture. I'm like, I've got to join this forum. I can't. I want to look at this model. I want to talk to this guy. I want to see what he did. How do you do this, you know? So I joined. Uh, Rich fired me back an email thing. They were kind of, like, full up, and they didn't really were taking any new members, and I pleaded with him to get on. He finally let me on and immediately went to the thread with this. Gary's done this car and I was studying everything. I, I started talking to him through the through the thread and then I think I private messaged him and pretty soon, I mean, we became really good friends and it kind of went on from there. I learned a lot. I mean, I learned quite a bit from his thread and a lot of other threads and everything. On model trains, weather was a great big, I mean, just, it was, it was a big, I don't know what do you want to say, ace up the sleeve or, you know, it was just, it was a big catalyst in like my journey forward from there, you know.
0: Didn't Divisio shut that down? He
1: did. Yeah, he gave it. I was on there, I think I was on there maybe three years, and it went from open membership to private. and Then he tried to have a paid membership, and I think by the paid thing, I think it kind of dwindled. Nobody really wanted to pay to go on a weathering forum. And then out of nowhere, I just know he yes, and whatever else, and he just shut it down and vanished.
0: Could I know some of the regulars that were on there, uh, one of the guys who lives here in the Phoenix area had started a weathering site also a couple years ago. And then of course seeing your, your postings on, uh, Model Railroad Hobbyist, you know, that's what led me to, uh, your site. Uh, alright, so you were inspired. You found out one of the keys was, Dull coat, dull and yes. then allowing the pigment or the chalk or whatever mm-hmm. you're going to use to yep. bite. Yes. Okay, and then from there, what, experimentation or? Basically, pretty
1: much, like I said, until I joined MTW and getting some hints and some clues about other people's and what their meetings were. I never knew, like, really to use oil paints. I kind of I had some oil paintings I had left over from doing canvas pictures years ago of Native American stuff. I used to do the great big oils on canvas portraits in, when I was in my 20s. I kind of left that to the wayside when I left California. All this transpired, by the way, when I moved to Oregon. I left California in two, the year 2000 exactly. My folks were moving up here and I decided, well, there's nothing really left for me down there. So I moved up with them and okay. I was going to go back to California, but I decided to stay and this is kind of where I, you know, sunk my roots now. And so when I was up here, all this kind of transpired just a, as a footnote there. But anyways, um yeah, the dull coat, as soon as the dull coat, I started reading more about, like, what other mediums, and I was noticing a lot of guys were using oils. I had some leftover oils that I was using prior to reading about it, but they were all dried up, and I remember I was working a, uh, E&C Shop's 62-foot, um wood chip gun for FP, and I remember getting this old tube of burnt Sienna oil. It was dried up, it was dried up so bad it was almost like a paste. So I put it on an index card, and I literally got some dish soap to try to reactivate the paint. And it sort of did, and I remember brushing it on there as a basically to, add this, to use it as a fade. Well, it didn't look all that good, but I kind of got an idea about oils will work for doing this. So, it was, yeah, you're right, Paul. It was basically an experimentation uh, adventure thereafter. It was kind of like trying to figure out chalk, mediums, you know, oils, um, pastels, acrylics, and this kind of thing.
0: Okay, so Mr. Lincoln finally was able to uh, to join us from Denver. And we've got him on the line. And I was getting ready to pose the question, what was the magazine that was out? It, it went out of uh, publication maybe 2006, 2007. Uh, I thought you, the publisher was up in Denver or Salt Lake someplace. Oh, you're talking
4: about Rail Model Journal. Yes. By yes. our friend Bob Schleicher up there. And, in fact, you know what? I noticed this, this issue that Gary's in. That Bob Schleicher is uh, getting a book published about prototype modeling by a model railroad hobbyist. So that's kind of cool.
0: Well, in one of his articles, because this was – I was still living in uh, Rocky River, Ohio. It was by Ken Patterson on using oils to weather. And because I got fascinated with it in 73 – Right. When Model Railroad Craftsman or somebody had an article on using chalks. And, I mean, it was just terrible, my efforts and stuff. But um, then it was in and out of the hobby. And then Patterson's article on how to use oils, mm-hmm. it just clicked with me. And it's just like what you said when you had the Dolco moment.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: uh, and so I did a lot of that, but I pretty much stabilized on uh, pigment and oil because – People that can do weathering with airbrushes, mm-hmm. I'm in awe. I am in awe of. I just don't have that high-end or eye-hand coordination to, no, no. Uh, to mist an underframe and not have it look like an Earl Chai paint job.
1: <laughs> no, I, I know what you mean there. I, uh, I always assume that if I ever picked up an airbrush, I do have a compressor. Terry Lambert's a good friend of mine, too. He's, uh, he's done a lot of uh, his own cab designs for Santa Fe uh, locomotives. He, um, he sent me out as a, uh, he sent me out a compressor at one point, and I figured I might get an airbrush, but it kind of also spooked me at the same time. I started thinking to myself that I, I work fast. I kind of work on an ex, a, expedited scale. I mean, when I start doing the model, I'll, I'll kind of go fast. I don't mean, you know, I have to keep up to an agenda. That's, this will come later about as far as my agenda with the weathering shop, but I, I do, i try to get like a model a month, you know, so I, 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 I speed up the process of what I do. I don't talk about to talk about it in an article at MRH, um in the two line box card if I talk about my the ways I try to speed up the weathering. And um I uh the whole the whole thing was like oils and stuff and using oils, um gosh, what were we what were we talking about there for we were talking about I'm losing my train of thought here. What were we saying something oh, about
0: we were just talking about how you had progressed and oil and uh how it was. Oh, no, the know, airbrush.
1: No, I know what it was, the airbrush. I just figured what... Yeah, I'm sorry, oh, okay. Paul. I, I just kind of like got lost for a second. I'm like, what the heck was the called? <laughs> anyway, gosh darn. What it was is I, I figured if I ever owned an airbrush, I would I would become like too fast. I would start doing things and basically it would be kind of like drive-through weathering. I was kind of afraid of it. Like if I do this it's kind of... It's going to be like a shortcut, so I want to kind of put myself to the grindstone of like doing it basically in more archaic ways than an airbrush. Not that I have no Dislike for people that do an airbrush and do a good job with an airbrush. I thought Tom Mann was exceptional for the time he was doing it all in end scale and stuff. So yeah, there's some people out there just, I mean, just wish good with an airbrush. I I just never messed around with one.
2: But well, a, I've got a, in, uh, in, in my opinion, go ahead. Sorry, in my opinion, there are certain effects that airbrushes do quite well, and there's mm-hmm. other effects that they don't. You know, right. it, it can make something look weathered, and it's like, right. oh wow, you know, that's a weathered car but it's, right. it's harder to give an exact representation of a prototype with an airbrush. This, this I agree other, with that. You know, you either have to use oils, gouache, mm-hmm. or other other mediums to, to really get the and, and powders in certain instances because I know um Mike Kowlone just uses powder because his his take on it is basically right. all weathering is is powder. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's, You know, the, the kick up from the trucks or anything, it's, it's, you know, dirt and stuff that's powder that gets stuck on the, of the the cars. And even, you know, the kind of rusty, if you, if you look at a rail box box car and, or any box car actually, modern box Mm -hmm. car, and and the ends get that kind of like brown orange stuff on the top Mm -hmm. of the ribs on the ends. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powdery stuff. It's not, whereas like a, a rust streak is very much like an oil. It's, you right. want something that's transparent. Right. That's
1: exactly right. You know, it's funny because um I don't want to stray too far from like the questions or when, when I when I talk it, to a lot okay. of guys I, I don't
2: I don't have any idea what any of the questions have been, so that's okay. It uh,
1: doesn't bother me No, no okay. No, <laughs> I'll just you're right. You're right about what you just said there, and 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 uh paralleling what you're saying there, it's like I uh, let's read guys on the forum at our forum, the Rust Bucket they'll ask a lot of questions about Weathering, and what I try to like tell them is like there's basically a meditative state before you even start weathering. It's, I'm not saying literally go to some yoga trance or this kind of thing, but, <laughs> you know, you know, and chant with candles. No, it's like, but what what I like to do is like be, you know, I try to expound on the fact that you should probably study a prototype yeah. before you weather. You should probably like really look at how there's, there's elements work different ways on different cars, you know. And I, I thought about that because you talk about the roof rust up at the top on the rail boxes now, at the very ends. You're right. You'll, you'll notice, like, there's, like, I try to tell them like, that relief areas or raised areas are going to be a catch-all for grime and this kind of thing. There's, like, physics to weathering. There's not just, some guys get in there and they just put haphazard, this and that. I mean, there's more to it. If I could ever expound one thing in this hobby, like, the guys that want to really attack some good weathering, it's like, think about what you're doing before you get into it. Don't just start adding mediums. And there's different ways things work. There, uh, grime sticks to ribs on box cars. It runs down and catches in door tracks. Um, Around bolt heads on on ladders or rungs, on stirrup bolt heads, um, all the ribs on the ends of box cars usually have a grime layer just on the rib top, and the ribs can usually be clean. And sometimes even the ribs on the sides of box cars are actually, almost like, they're just painted, and the rest of the car is filthy. Scratches from the doors are usually on the lower end, not right. way up top. You see some guys put scratches up, and you're like, why would that scratch be up there? This is coming from... You know, well, they have just as many scratches on the left side of the door where the door doesn't even slide on the track. It goes the opposite direction. So there's, there's physics to it that I, I that I've learned to start picking up after time, too, that I try to press on and, like, you know, help other people understand. Like, there's, it, you, you just put, don't put things on there half because, in the end, you're going to have a car that doesn't look very realistic.
2: Right. And, and the caveat to that is, you know, he may come to you and say, look at this picture. Mm-hmm. There's, there's scratches yeah. in that spot. I have no idea how they got there, but there's, and then things like, okay. But the problem with that is, unless you have the picture, unless you're showing the car with the picture, people can look at it. Right? They they may they say, wow, that's a nice car," but there may be something in the back of their head that something's funny. But I don't know what it is. is Something funny. But if you've got the picture, then there's nothing to say because there's some some weird things that occur that are like (laughs) I have no idea. Well, that's true. Yeah, it's true. That's true. You know, that that's not one of those things that you'd have on every single car. That's a you know, like you say, you get into the zen state and like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I'm going to make this. Right. You know, I'm going to copy Well, this. And, that, and that kind of all
1: falls back to me like I'm, on the airbrush theory, too. I mean, I'm not like – I'm not um, disregarding the airbrush or discounting, like I said, for anything. I'm sure it has – I'm sure there's been times I've already wanted to use an airbrush for underframes and this kind of thing, but I started noticing kind of a habitual thing with a lot of modelers out there who weather that they, if they use it kind of as like the panacea for all weathering. They start using too much white. They'll take white – um, whether it be acrylic or whatever, maybe even enamel. I don't know what colors, but they, they'll they use white, run it through the airbrush, thin down, and then use that as a very light misting to va- basically fade cars. Well, I learned through trial and error myself that white is not your overall – it's not the right thing to do. I know a lot of models still do that. Sometimes it works, but for instance, like red cars, it just turns a car pink where you don't want it pink. And Some cars – turning orange pink, so it, 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 we like to call it the frosted flake look because it looks like it's a frosting over a car instead of basically a fade. And I feel a lot of guys can get hung up using the airbrush thinking it's like, a, you know, the all-out panacea that this is like the instrument of all times to weather. And it it, it can be beneficial, but at the same time it can also be detrimental, in my, in my opinion. Right. Yeah, the thing well, is,
2: is, is I, Hey, I Jerry? Yes? Sorry, Jim, go, go ahead. I'll, I'll I'll
4: add in – I'll chime in once you're done.
2: You know, what I was going to say was uh, I think we may have mentioned it uh, on one of these podcasts at one point. You know, my mom used to be uh, really into color, and, and, and you know, she was, for all intents and purposes, a Ph.D. in color. She could, you know, she could look at right. something and say, this is the three colors that you need. You know, she would take yeah. the three primary <laughs> colors, and she could look at right. Boxcar Red and say, you need, you know, this much magenta, this much blue, this much yellow. Right, that will get you, yeah. We'll get you that. She would it's look at like it. And say, a, well, yeah. My my brother thinks that she probably had more rods and cones in her eyes because she was able to see things that most normal people couldn't. Mm-hmm. But one of the things she said, like about a red box car, say, and I'm not talking boxcar red. I'm talking like say, Raritan, Raritan River red. That's yeah. a red box. Mm-hmm. If you want to dull it, green on it, which is totally counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. But when you put, yeah. but when you put green on it, you know people. Oh, you got to put white on it to fade or green. You know, do something to mm-hmm. it. No, you, you put this color on it. And it will actually look better. You, 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 you don't want to put green on red, but when you do it, <laughs> when you do it, I mean, as long as you're not like painting it green, you know, put a green wash, because I've done it, They put a green wash on a red car, and it, and it, it, it it's an interesting effect because it makes it dull. It doesn't, it doesn't change, it doesn't make it not red, it makes it, instead of a bright red, it makes it a kind of a, yeah, red. You know? Right, <laughs> it, right. It, it does different effects. And I, I think, my mom's comment, as she passed now, but she, her comment about model railroaders they were very lazy mm-hmm. as far as color go. You know, right. and, and having an understanding of color and how it works would be very beneficial on, particularly on weathering, because she enjoyed. Oh, that. absolutely, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you'll
1: find, you know, a lot of times too. Actually, of course, I've been doing this for the however many years I've been doing it now. I um that a lot of colors you'll find some work better with different colors. Mm-hmm. Yellow, for instance one of my absolute favorites. I mean, I'm surprised I haven't kicked out, like, more rail boxes, because yellow, for whatever reason, takes orange, any kind of orange, rough colors. I mean, it Mm -hmm. it just pronounces them. Blues, I have a rough time with. Any light blue, I've had trouble, because sometimes the orange gives almost a greenish color if you're not mixing the paints right, or you're not getting the right color Mm -hmm. there. So, it's, it's like I said, it's nothing that you are right. I mean, there's understanding of color. There's a lot more that goes
2: into it than just applying mediums and stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, people go into a panic because Flocal doesn't make their colors anymore. And it's like, how am I going to get, how am I going to get, you know, red and yellow? It's like, right. mix it, mix it, mix yeah. it. Yeah. Kind of... It's exactly well,
4: you know, right. You know, going kind of touching base with what you're both talking about here. I, I found you're... out that rust doesn't always rust brown.
2: Nope. Nope. It, nope. It's, nope.
4: A, to add another layer of dimension, it's not only the car physically. That changes your your weathering, but the color of the car too,
3: mm-hmm.
4: right? You know, right. so for example, if you have a green car, say a BN green car, if you want to do some sort of rust streak, you got to use like olive drab, and then it yes. looks like a tan streak on the green. You know, right? So you don't want if you use like a tan on the green, it doesn't look right. You know, it right. goes right. into color theory, dealing with complements, you know, tints, etc. Um, right. not everybody gets the the benefit of having like art training but you know right it doesn't hurt to at least go to an art store and pick up a color theory book and just sort of reference it when you're dealing with different color chips and things like that and mm-hmm. think, okay well this is my base and these are the colors that can go on top of it and sort of mix around and see what what effects you get just on yeah. a piece of paper before you even yeah. touch the car
1: oh yeah. absolutely you know and that's, you know, you're talking about that and it's funny because, you know, before the show started, you and I were talking about your, your, uh, your fruit block, uh, weathering deal you just did here recently. And, and we all might concur here, let's all see if we can kind of shake heads and a thumbs up on even orange, like one of the worst ones to try to weather. I mean, orange cars, how are you going to get rust on an orange car when orange is, you know, orange is pretty much a color of rust. There's ways to do it, but for like a novice, it's, it would be really difficult. And say, so you're right. I mean, it would be absolutely a number one beneficial for a person who's like novice to this to go and like get a Color, you know, look on colors, like you said, Chris, and then
2: go from there. I mean, ideally, what I had always wanted to do, what I had always wanted to do with my mom before she passed, was to make a model railroaders guide to color. You know there how you, you can mm-hmm. how you can apply it. The thing is, when I went to because the the ideal that I thought of was if you could mm-hmm. teach somebody how to go to the craft store, get three colors, mm-hmm. and mix anything you wanted. Yes, because she could do that. She could. Take three colors and mix anything you wanted. And she actually taught a course. It was for a totally different craft. It, it, right. It was for dyeing wool from white. So you started from white and then had to get it to a different color. And when she, yeah. when she started the course, people said, Oh, can we use black? And she said, No. You can't use black until you know the basics of how everything works because mm-hmm. black will help you cheat. So they right. don't want you cheating. Because you can get everything <laughs> without black. That's so until, right. Until you know what you're doing, you can't use black. And it goes along with what you said: is everybody wants to just throw white on something. I know. I know. Because you know, yeah. you yeah. know, white or gray or something like that. Oh, I cut that. You know, it's the easiest thing. Well, I think you think it is, but it.
1: Exactly. It's, I think it's almost instinctual that you would think that white's going to like lighten up everything. And it's basically the whole principle of light to dark. When I when people ask questions on the forum as far as when my weathering goes, like I always try to like always throw that whole. Uh, The whole theory about light to dark. I said, you know, dark colors adding dark immediately is unforgiving. You're going to have to redo the whole car. If you start adding dark colors without going from light and experimenting and maybe raising up the level here and there to get to where you want to go to a dark color, I said, you're going to end up throwing a lot of models away or starting all over. So always use your light to dark, and it doesn't mean just grab a a white though and put it in airbrush and fade it there. I mean, some you know what? And I don't want to say that to the point like I'm really you know, just diss- dissing on that. I just want to, because it really is, not it's not, uh I've seen some guys actually get some really good effect, but it just depends, right. Like we've all talked about here, just now, Uh it depends on the color of the car to begin with. Red doesn't take a very good white wash. Um, orange would turn like, almost like a cantaloupe melon orange. Mm-hmm. It, so you're right. Understanding colors yeah, and then I like Chris' thought about yeah go to the go to the hobby shop or what you call one of you said about going to the hobby shop and getting a book or you know even art store going to that's what I meant art store going to get a book and understanding colors and how colors mix and this kind of thing would be ideal for a beginner. I
4: I, I know there's a lot of guys out there that just don't want to do it because it's not a railroad related thing, right. but mm-hmm. but it is. It <laughs> you is understanding oh. how to use color is every bit effective for building a layout, doing weathering. Yeah. You know, fit, fit, generating a finished look. And, you know, the nice thing about knowing color and force light and shadow, um, mm-hmm. it, it'll save you a lot of work in the end because there's oh, all, so many tricks to fool the eye of the mm-hmm. beholder to think it's like, illusion. Yeah, it, it's, it's all just illusion. And it in is. fact, it, it, we're generating illusion by building I these 3D models, you know. <laughs> and,
2: and, and the other thing about it, if you like along what you said about saving a lot of time in the end, knowing how colors mix and 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 all that will help you when you have to come to the point of think that doesn't look right on my layout, right? Because of the lighting, right? I painted it one place, now it's someplace else, and how do you how do you color collect? How do you color correct for that? Yeah. Well, you know, here's yeah. another one. Uh, some guys will get the exact
4: color chip of a locomotive, right? They'll they'll take that color chip, match it perfectly, and paint their model. They put
2: it on their layout, and it looks wrong because color sometimes doesn't scale. It sounds right. yes. It, it sounds counterintuitive, but yeah. Sometimes- yes. If they take their
4: model outside, oh, it looks great now, but as soon as it
1: comes inside, eh,
2: it doesn't fun? look
4: right, you know?
1: Yeah, right. and it is, and it's all lighting. I've done that many a times where I thought i get done with a certain model, and I'm in here under, like, I've got four or five overhead lamps over my, my workspace directly. So when I'm working on the model, um, it can look great underneath. And I've got those cost-efficient bulbs, the corkscrew-looking thing, so it gives up more of a neon-looking light. Right. Well, then I'll take it outside and I'll, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be a great photo shoot. And I'll get my dioramas all set up and, you know, all night my, my aperture settings and everything get down there. And, and I'll take a series of like series of like, 100 shots per photo shoot, come back, download them all, and then trash every one of them because something's wrong with like the color from outside as opposed. And sometimes some cars will never even see the website on account of like the color was so off or something didn't look right in their natural light as opposed to indoor light. So, yeah, I concur, 100%. So you can make the adjustment or you can either start all over or whatever, you know. Yeah. yeah.
2: I try not to go onto your website because I, I feel so incredibly ad- inadequate when I see them work. i
1: not forget that. Come
2: on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, boy, I'm not going to be that good.
1: I'm staying away from there, man. Oh, geez, that's a compliment. Thank you. It's, it's uh, yeah. It's Jim, do exactly.
4: you use uh, oil paints, too, whenever you weather.
1: I don't use them for washes. You know, it's funny. You should ask this. And I I was told myself before this when, we, when you emailed me last week, Paul, or whatever. I, I was, I guess I do, I do, I go, I don't know, we had an hour's time. Do I even go into how, I, I'd probably go about fading my cards or putting my initial color on in the most unorthodox way this, model, this hobby will ever know. And I don't know how many guys, I think there's only been a few guys that even tried doing it. Because I don't want to own an airbrush, but... Kind of going back and, and making full circle on you are talking about like mixing colors. This is kind of where it all began for me because I didn't own an airbrush and there's such a plethora of colors out there, of colored cars. I remember I started on an Ashley Drew in Northern. That's like my first one I ever tried, tried to fade down. I wasn't going to use an airbrush. I didn't want to use white. It wouldn't look good on an A, you know, AD and green, uh, FMC box car. So, but I started doing, and this is where the cost efficiency thing comes in like kind of what I founded on in the article I wrote for MRH was everybody's kind of, we're out, this country's kind of in an economic climate right now where we're not all doing too well. I mean, you know, we were just kind of saving our pennies or doing whatever now. I mean, I don't want to go out and spend a lot of money for name brand products. I'm not saying they're inferior because they're probably better quality, but there's things that can be done with with cost-efficient products out there. So I started buying the little craft paints that we can all find in Walmart. And what I'll do is go home, like when I take on a while, to this day, even from the time I first started doing this, and I'll take a styrofoam plate that's what I use for my palette. At my work table and then I'll uh, I'll add whatever colors I think I need just little drops of them at a time like if I got an 80 and let's just let's take the 80 and I actually drew a northern green okay and I want to fade it down to like a real grungy olive drab color what I'll do is take a drop of kind of an all close olive drab green and maybe some golden like an ochre color and these are all the the, the craft acrylic they're really they're kind of not watery but they're thick enough and and then I'll add whatever, like maybe even a brown. And I'll put them all in separate drops on this styrofoam plate, and then I'll take water, and I'll just mix those colors and play with them until I come to what I think is the right color before I add it to the model. And I used to try to stress that to people. don't start, Just don't start adding colors to the model directly, and then working from there. Try to mix them on a palette, and if you see what's right on the palette, then you can go ahead and put it to the car. Okay, and then what I do from there, this is where it kind of gets a little crazy. I... I I had a space heater, and this all kind of came uh, mayhap. I have a space heater on that was keeping me kind of, it gets cold in the winter up here. I'm out on the Oregon coast, so it's a lot of humidity, and it stays cold out here all the time in my studio. So I bought a space heater out years ago, and, and it's like sitting right on top of my workbench. Well, I started using it to my advantage of weathering these models. I would paint on, what I would do is dilute the color, like, let's go back to this. actually drew a northern green. Let's say I got to the right color that I wanted to put on the car, and I'd make literally a watery slurry. The ratio, literally, is probably like seventy percent water to thirty percent paint, okay? And then what I do is I take a real wide, soft, fable like hairbrush—not not synthetically, not synthetic hair brush, but a wide, uh soft hair brush—and I would literally just slop the paint on from about the roof line onto the side of the car, and literally let gravity do its own thing, so there wouldn't be brush strokes, and let it just flow down the side of the car. And it all accumulates, of course, in the door tracks. Let's say are on this box car on the door tracks, around all the raised areas. And then what I will do is take a dry brush and pick up all the accumulative paint that's pooled around the door tracks, flip on the space heater, hold the car about eight inches from the space heater, and with this acrylic, it dries within seconds. I mean, 30 seconds top, it's dry. And it will basically give you – of course, some cars, you get got to about four or five layers. you got to do this repetitively with four or five layers. Now – Question probably comes to mind, what about all the graphics underneath? You're hiding all your graphics. I would completely hide the graphics with about four or five coats of this stuff, repeating the process with the dryer. Do not, I, I, and I've expressed this so many times, do not add any dull coat. Don't steal any of those layers until you're completely done. And what I do is take a toothpick, wet the end of it. And this is really hard. And this is why people don't want to do this process because it is as timely. It's, but I found good results with it, and it's cost efficient. And I go ahead with a wet toothbrush. Uh, toothpick in, and I'll find where the graphics are and basically scrape away the layers of paint all around all the graphics, maybe except for, like, the data, the the cost labels I can add with decals and, you know, micro-scale decals. I have all the sheets of data and this kind of thing. But the major heralds and lettering, and then once that's all opaque and it's on the car and it's dry and all the lettering's cleaned away, then I can go ahead and hit it with dull coat and seal it and go on with the weathering. That's pretty weird, huh?
2: no not really cuz um i remember i i posted some pictures of of a n scale railbot and i mm-hmm. wanted to do uh like i wanted to do the you know the the ghost lettering look mm-hmm. and i had tried things before in o you know, scale and, and it hadn't worked and you know i was talking to um and now i can't think of his name um and he said um who's got some great ones and I, hopefully I'll remember his name. Just awesome work. Butch Eiler. Butch? Eiler? Yeah. And he, and he said, weather the car first and then scrape the lettering off. And I'm like, duh. Well, in, 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 yeah, duh. In end scale, I if you, yeah, and I just wasn't doing it that way. I was trying to scrape the lettering off and then weather it and then have it to look right. Obviously. So right. I, I just, I didn't use oils or anything like that. I took the, you know, a dark red rust and like a rail brown color powder and just Jeez. smeared it on the side of the car. Smear on the side yeah. of the car. So yeah. the, the side of the car is just black, essentially. Right. And then I would wipe right. that off mostly with either a paper towel yeah. or a Q-tip. And then I used uh, a very, very sharp X-Acto knife and shaved off the letter. So almost the same thing. And in yep. N scale, it works because the paint is so thin that it shaves yeah. real off real easy. Whereas an N- with an O scale car, the paint's so thick, you, have to, you yeah. have to go after it so hard, you end up going into the paint underneath. So right, it's, right. it's interesting that you'd think, oh, that would work in oak scale, but it doesn't because of the amount of effort. <laughs> oh, I know, um, I know. There's a lot of <laughs> good. No, no, no. That 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 was basically it. So I mean, it's not a crazy concept. Just totally. I mean, and when when you, I, I have pictures of the process, and the whole side of the car is black. When when mm-hmm. I just get the powder on, you just mash the powder right. into the sides. and then what I would do is I, you know, I'm I'm wiping it off with water, and then I would puddle it up to make sure that the that black would get into the crevices of the right. um the side posts right so that you'd get a little bit of relief um,
1: that was kind of the first and foremost i think things that like magazines were were pressing back in the day i remember people talking when i was reading a lot of those magazines i was telling you earlier about the guy that gave me this mountain of model railroad i mean i was reading them like every day and i was what i was finding out was back in those times they were pressing a lot of guys to use like india ink and and basically did it all over the car and come back and and Clean it off, and all the all the uh, recessed areas would would end up with the the age right. in there, the crevices and stuff. Like they've been doing that for quite a while, and I i Yeah, it. and I totally remember doing the same thing.
4: You know what right. I've and done just recently, Gary? I think you might get get a kick out of this. I I, I bought some of those Walmart paints like you were talking about. Uh-huh. And I just squeezed out a tube, and I just started you know used a little bit of diluted um, hand soap, just the liquid stuff. And I just caked onto, just as an experiment, I had this old model, got die-cast speed, 4,700 cubic foot hopper.
2: And I right. took, took,
4: like, this black, and I caked it on, like, stucco <laughs> onto the car, just wondering what'll happen. Right. And by the time I was done, my, Eric, my, the guy I was living with, he comes out, looks at me, it's like, are you sure you're... You, I, it looks like you just about ruined it. Are you sure this is gonna come off? I'm like, I don't know, let's try and find out. Uh, I, I let yeah. it sit in the garage all day and this you know, yeah. paint is on there, I swear to God it looks like house stucco on the side.
1: <laughs> how did it turn how did
4: how did it turn out? Well, the the cool thing is when I took it back with a wet brush mm. and started erasing it. It got into every nook and cranny. It got oh, right that, into yeah. the seams of the posts. You know, that horizontal seam that goes across.
1: It yeah. came out
4: perfect.
1: Wow. 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 Yeah. Yeah. And,
4: and that's I, just the Walmart, you know, they, just like we were saying, the, the stuff that comes in Walmart, the the, the watercolor paints in the tubes.
1: Yeah, what are they, like a dollar a piece or something? Or did you yeah. 99 cents or I'm something?
4: Like, well, you know, I'm not going to, who cares about wasting it, you know?
1: Right. That's exactly right. That's how, I mean, you know, they have tons of them up there, you know, so.
4: Yeah. That's and it was awesome. The damp brush, going back over it, the the soap mixed in with it just kind of thinned it out and broke right. the tension, and by the time it was done, you know, in looks, fact, uh, next time I'm up there, I'm going to take a couple pictures. I'm going to post them on the Facebook for, uh small railroad hobbyist, just to, I want to kind of show everybody what it looks like after. It sounds awesome. But, um, but yeah, it's like, Eric comes out, he looks at that, he's like, man, I don't know. <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> and, and, and the funny thing about weathering, it's just one of those things, there's this point where it looks terrible, mm-hmm. and you think, I screwed it up. But that yeah. is the point where you're just, like, one
1: step away from getting exactly what you want. You just tapped exactly on what I was trying to expound on with this whole, like, layering thing I was telling you. I've had guys on the thing, go. they they tried it, like, well, it, it didn't look good. It looked horrible when I was like, but you didn't probably give it enough time for that, like, that magic moment, quote, unquote, to, to hit. Because once it's dry and once it's, it turns opaque and the paint's not bleeding or running down all over the place and you put enough layers on, you're going to be... Pleasantly surprised, and it sounds like you know exactly what you just talked about. You know, in the very end, it may look ugly for a minute, but you never know what's going to happen like in the next few moves. You know, right?
4: Whether it's really
1: strange like that, it it, It is like the the point where it's the worst.
4: You're just like so close from achieving the best. I mean, even if you you do this, say with like watercolors, and this is I I really like using watercolors just because I can put underneath a faucet and start you know, erasing all right, my, right. my mistakes, but usually doing that process ends up like, oh, that's exactly
1: what I needed, it looks
4: great now, right. you know.
1: Right, right, and that, well, that goes with a lot of other guys, I mean, I've seen a lot of guys put like I, I can't understand for one minute how they're, you know, they don't like, expound on what they're doing, and then they, they talk about it limitedly, you know, and then they, they show their end process, and they're like, well, how the heck did they do that with, with such and such, or this kind of thing, you know, so it amazes me, it really is, I mean, it's just that. Like you said, they know how to work the median or whatever and, and you get results, you know. I'd like to see the car you're talking about. I'd like to see if you ever like when you do post a picture, I'm excited to see it now.
4: Yeah, it's just a test. Now I want to kind of finish it off and put on like a electric
1: yeah, walk
4: and kind of, and, yeah. and the other thing I did too with it, just a you know experimenting with the force light and shadow, it has the uh-huh. molded on Grab irons and the ladders and the walkways and all that stuff. So The rungs were really thick, and right. what I did is I put a little black on the tops and the bottoms and the sides of the posts and stuff, just to kind of when it's going by, it's the, those rungs will look really thin. Right. You know, I, I, right. I wanted to save myself the hassle of drilling them out. You know, and putting <laughs> in new right. Wires. Stuff like that, right? And and at the same time, I want to keep the resiliency of this car up so I can switch with it, you know. So
1: right. right. So well, do you
0: remember, do you remember a, the
1: old? Well, go ahead.
0: No, finish finish what you were saying. Oh no, i just telling
1: Chris. I remember the old uh, Accurail forty-seven or forty-six hundred center float they used to manufacture, and they had uh, the Morton the Morton style uh, roof walk up there with all the holes instead of the apex types. And I remember guys were taking. I was learning this one of the things I learned on a guy named Mr. Kluke on MCW back in the day. He would take India ink or whatever and he'd basically kind of do the same thing, force it down at all the holes and then come back later and wipe it off with a little bit of alcohol and you know, and dudes and, do, and we guys do that on the auto racks too. In fact I've done that. I used there's like the Walters auto racks to get all the recessed little holes on the panel filled with black and then come back in and wipe them off. You know, wipe off the whole surface of so you. You know, there's a lot of little things. There's a lot of little tricks I mean that are learned along the way. It's like that makes this whole like we've all shared to make the whole weathering experience like you know easier for one another mm-hmm.
0: and of course plano made our lives a lot
1: oh my simpler
0: God. because they came out with etch metal running boards for the oh, I, uh Accurails. i know I know. I, I know and then even the uh, uh enclosed auto carriers yeah you've got the sides for it
1: i know i know keith is like in fact he just uh, i've got a project coming up pretty soon i really don't like to talk about what i do ahead of time but i don't really care anymore i I'm gonna do, I'm, I'm, trying to do a, um, I'm gonna do a whole, like, snow fighting, an FP snow fighting assemblage. I'm a, i my own personal collection, I just picked up, uh, one of Albury's new brass releases of the FP Flanders. I got one of them on order right now, so I'm waiting on that. And I've got the Athern Genesis, uh, the, uh, the Jeep 38-2 uh, that FP employed for, like, snow fighting with these Flanders. And Keith at Plano, was, like, always surprises us. The other day I had a buddy of mine down in Texas. Uh, send me a text, he goes, you might be interested in these, and I guess Keith just now released some of uh, the rotary windshield wipers, the etched brass no, Yeah, No, they kidding. Yeah, no, he just said, yeah, and I just ordered two sets of them, so he's Holy always, now, a, he's always a big help cool. to the hobby, yeah, the guy just amazes me, and I, you know, as long as we're talking about him, I really have to throw my hat off, you know, you know, salute Keith, because I mean, I, I'm like, this was going to be, I was laying in bed one night, believe it or not, I mean, I do this, okay, as weird as it may sound, I lay in bed, and I think about my project, okay, you know, I'm weird. And uh, I'm thinking, I was like, "How am I going to do this? Cause I'm ready, getting ready to do this, like this whole uh, flanger and uh, Jeep 38 2 combo." And I'm thinking, "How am I going to manufacture or fabricate the rotary windshield wipers? I could do the icebreaker antlers on top. I could probably manufacture those pretty easy, but the rotaries, I didn't know how to do that." And, and I mean, just three days, three or four days ago, my buddy's like, "Hey, did you see these?" He sent me a link. I'm like, "Wow, no way!" So I ordered like two sets of them. So yeah, Plano, you know, it's just been awesome. Absolutely awesome.
0: Well, let me ask a question because uh, I've I've seen the multiple pictures array from your uh, website. Mm-hmm. And for the listeners, it's, you know, theweatheringshop, all yeah. one word, dot com. Right. And then on this week's uh, Photo Fun, you posted a picture of a, a Southern Pacific SD9. Mm-hmm. Can we walk through some of the effects that you've applied on that SD9 and you uh, explain them to it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I've always been a high hood fan. That kind of goes back to the whole Colfax thing again because they had they had the uh, SD9E down there as the, as the snow fighters for the Flanders in those days. And we could, you know, SP was really relaxed in their security back when I was growing up. This was in the, like, early mid-'80s, 1980s. And we'd crawl around those locomotives. There's nobody ever there at the depot, and they're parked on a uh, siding down behind yeah. the depot. we crawl all around up there, so I always had, like, this really liking for the high hoods. Well, I started on this project for that FD9, and I, I was kind of caught between the devil and Deep Blue on, like, which model I wanted to do as a base for the model, because Lifelike or Walters, was it the P2K, I don't know if it, if it was the Proto Series, produced a F7, uh, FD9 in Southern Pacific Paint, and so did uh, Broadway Limited just came out with one. And I thought, so I bought one of each. I thought, and I, it was funny because when, I, when the postman delivered them, I opened the boxes and I'm like, wow, which one do I use? There was, I was kind of caught because I wanted to do a fd 9 e that had been shopped by Sacramento Shop that had the uh, the electric cabinet hump on the back, the, the air horn was removed back over the, over top of the cab. Um, there's a lot, a lot of little extras on the thing that after Sac Shop got a hold of those things. So, both models offered something like, <laughs> Uh, something good of the project I wanted to do. The, uh, I was more preferable to the channeled stanchions that were on the Lifelike, but then again, like, they would, they wouldn't, there was some things on the Lifelike. I thought the, the lift rings were a little oversized, out of scale. The color was way off as opposed to the Broadway. So, eeny, meeny, miny, mo as it goes, I went ahead and chose the Broadway as the base for my project. Now the that, and, So
0: that's what we're seeing in the picture yes,
1: of? Yes, at the Broadway Limited. Okay. I, I wasn't, Sure about the handrails. I was going to order some from Smoky Valley to do the channel stanchions and the handrails, but then I realized that they're surfing the net and looking at some proto-pictures. in fact, I even got a. I was just, the deal was sealed by a video library. Have Charles Smiley does a lot of uh, Southern Pacific related videos, and I watched those, you know, for ideas and whatnot. And I was watching this one video called um, Keeps and Cadillacs." He had, and on that video, they were showing a couple old uh, Sack Shop SD9Es that were used up and down the Central Valley for actual locals, and. Um, I wasn't quite sure about the old handrails, but I guess those were shop delivered like in the early 50s with these straight pole handrails or the extensions instead of uh, the, the channeled ones. Those came along later. So I'm like, okay, that's going to work. I'll use the Broadway Limited. So I went ahead and got the details west kit for an FD9E uh, upgrade and I went ahead and put the, the plow, the MU's train line. I've added the snow, uh, the, the stand filler cap, uh, yeah. whip and tennis stand, the whole nine yards. Um, and then what I did, as far as the weathering goes, I, I, I masked off all the glass, okay, I masked all the glass at the cab windows. Um, I didn't add any lenses. I, could, I went ahead and changed the light packages on that because SP prototype light packages, and I bought some MP um, lenses that were going to be applied at the very end of the project. So I didn't have to worry about masking off that. But I masked the windows, the number boards, did it with dull coat. Okay, that's my first product, you know, my first. Yeah, That's what I do initially on any project. do a it Delta. It's a good misting, not saturate the model. Don't ever saturate I just misted it. And okay. I just give, give this to you. Then I went to my talents, and I grabbed a charcoal gray Delta color, one of these cheap acrylics. I grabbed one of the uh, Delta color charcoal gray and a light Bridgeport gray, and I started mixing until I come with like a faded, kind of a faded-looking FP gray. And this is going to be kind of interesting when I get into this because I tried something new that I've never done before on that particular locomotive. Then I went and made my wash that I talked about earlier with a lot of water, and then I, I just gave it about a three-layer wash of that really diluted, kind of a grayish, dark gray, kind of, I don't know. Not, it was the, the Broadway Limited, coming from the manufacturer, the color was really kind of a greenish gray. <laughs> Pardon me. It was a greenish gray, very, like, very non sp looking. but I, It was easier to work with than the light gray that came on the Walter. so I was okay with, with this. Anyways, after I got the washes done, I went ahead and, like I said, I scraped off around the Southern Pacific on the, on the hood and all the, I was going to rechange the, um, the report marks. I didn't worry about that. I just obscured those. I didn't even have to sand them off. The paint obscured those. And then what I did, I come in, once that's all dried and I got the faded to my liking, I went ahead and worked on the both ends of the nose and the ends of the red and I used a terracotta acrylic. It's like, this, that, that pink color right there is vital for muscle. Hundreds of projects I do. For whatever reasons, terracotta is a good stimulant for, like, fading red. And I think I okay. did a one-layer one wash over the, the hood, I mean, both ends on the nose and then the rear of the of the unit. And that was good enough. And I used a little bit of pastel, like a brick red colored pastel, and just barely brush that little on to get, like, a nice seal that. That's done. Then what I do is come in, I'll just take a regular black acrylic, and I'll get a real fine brush, and I'll basically go in and paint Every single, like, cabinet door scene, I'll get all the dynamic, like, the dynamic brake grills. I'll get the the, air, the uh what do you call it, the radiator grills. I'll get all that and kind of do washes, multi-layer washes to let all that black paint settle into the grill areas. Okay, and once that's done, I got the upper part faded and ready to go there. I'll work the whole underframe, and I'll start on the truck. And and I noticed I have, like, a habit of, like, doing – I did a, DNRGD, a DNRDW tunnel one time. I did a chrome, and I, I have this habit of doing, like, a film of, like, a sandalwood. Beige color to like get like a dusty film over the truck. So I, planned, I wanted to avoid that this time on this unit so I didn't look like every single locomotive I've ever done the same color of the truck. So I did the same mixed color of like the grays, the two different color grays, and I did two washes of those on there and then it came with oil paint. Uh, it's a um, it's a company called Graham and Company, and I swear by it. It's like it's they're manufactured right here in Oregon, Graham and Company, and the color is transparent oxide orange. I'm holding the tube in my hand as we speak. I'm looking right at it, and it's right dead on the nail for for rust color. It's basically rust color is what it is. What I did with that is I went like, in I painted like little streaks coming off the uh off the um, side frames of the truck, a little bit around the truck journal, and I can't remember not the, uh, the air, yeah the airlines were already on this Broadway. I might have met, fabricated the airlines between the brake cylinders too, but. After I did all that, I went ahead and add some streaky type stuff and a little bit of grime. Then what I do, like when the paint's still wet, the oil paint, like on the truck journals on some of them, I'll add a little bit of black pastel powder directly into the wet paint, and that simulates like a nice, like greasy, like like grease and and dirt accumulating, like around the truck journals. When I was happy with all that, I went ahead and hit, like I did, do a light base wash on the fuel tank, and I did kind of the same process with fuel spillage from the fuel caps. I came down and did like some great, uh some oil paints from where the fuel was spilling down the side of the tank and then added some black pastel in there to give you the uh, illusion of spilled diesel fuel. And once I was happy with the whole, like, that whole deal, now here's kind of the new twist that I did. I mixed up, and this is kind of neat, And I'm trying to share this with some, some guys recently. I'm doing a clinic. because Dave Comstock he emailed me a couple months ago and asked if I would do a clinic at the NMR convention in Portland next year. So I obliged, and I said, uh, you ask what my theme would be. Well, I started thinking about sharing some of the things I haven't shared online as of yet. So this would be kind of a first year. I take. A titanium white by the same company, Graham Company. Graham Company titanium. There's two differences: like white, there's titanium. And gosh, I can't remember the name of the other one. So there's a certain white that are manufactured. Like it's it's in every like oil painter's. One is opaque and one's kind of transparent. I guess is what they told me at the art store. So that's the difference between the two. Like, what's the difference between titanium and this color white? Well, one's more of a transparent, one's more opaque. So the titanium is the one I needed. So I brought that on I mixed titanium white with. Just a mention of this orange oxide on a palette. I mix it not on a palette, but actually on a uh, an index card, like a recipe card or something you can buy at the store. And what happens there then is, Paul, is you, you put two dabs of like titanium to the left, put the orange to the white, and right in the middle you mix those two. And what's happening with the oil paint, it's absorbing into the card. Okay? This is crazy. You can literally see it start haloing the paint. It starts it starts like the oil is, is saturated, it's like a sponge into the card. And what it leaves and its wake is like a paste. It turns the turnkey oil painting is like not being so, uh, oily, but more of a paste. But you kind of okay. got to work fast with this. You mix the two of these, add a mention of that orange into the titanium white. And for whatever reason, on darker colors, it, 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 it just like works like magic. I mean, you, you, you can use it for like dust kick up off, uh, off the lower car sills where dust is accumulating. But I went ahead and stippled in between like cabinets on the side of the hood and they fit up near the, on the roof. Um, and on the nose, part of it, on the gray part of the nose, I stippled this color after it's been mixed onto it for a fair amount of I mean, little areas, kind of dabbed it on there, and then I came back in with one of those giant makeup brushes that women use to, like, powder their cheeks because they're very soft, yes. and, I, and I went over, and I must have spent, I usually spent spend, like, about 20 minutes just basically buffing it with that, with that, and what it does is it gets rid of all the brush marks, and it adds highlights as if, like, the paint is completely fading in that area. So that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell as far as, and then I came back in, like, of course, with a little bit of rust and, um, rust effects around the battery boxes and, and this kind of thing, some of the lubes.
0: Well, and you that, can almost see that rust texture on the, uh, snow plow on that unit.
1: That, that was just done right there with, um, that was done on the, uh, the plow I did with a, I did a dry brushing of, uh, the orange oxide oil. And while it was still wet, I came back in I mixed two colors of pastel powder stick of black and this brick orange-red, and I, I scrape them with a razor blade into a basin, like a clear basin, and I can take yeah. another a soft brush, and I mix the two until I'm satisfied with a, a kind of a brownish, and you can play around with whatever color you want, a darker. I would always suggest to people to never go dark first. It, it's just a mess, and you can't take especially with pastels, they're way unforgiving. I would start always light first. So if you're not happy with how light it is, you can add a little black. But So I normally start with kind of a lighter color, and then I'll add a little bit of black, and if it's going on the plow, it doesn't look like it's dark and all that, just a little bit more black and add another layer. So that's – it just soaks right into that oil paint for whatever reason. It leaves a real, like, dry-looking rust. And then cool. you can seal it. And you can literally saturate it, Paul, with dull coat. You can saturate it. And I do this with my truck. In fact, it's in the article. I do it with my truck on all my freight cars. And it literally – you can saturate with dull coat and dry it off, and it goes back almost a drier look. You would think it wouldn't, but it comes back to almost a drier look than before you hit it with the dull coat. So – it's,
0: okay. it's, yeah. So that's. What's you? I'm sorry, I was going to just ask, what did you use to make the, uh, the uh, wedges blue on the truck?
1: Oh, on the, uh, it the, looks the, really cool. You talking about the shims on the side of the journal? Yeah. That's um, another acrylic, it's just a, um, what it is, here, let me see, it's in my box right here, so let me get a name for you. I'm not here in my studio right now. It's an uh, Apple Barrel craft paint, and it's called uh, Aquamarine. That's it. I had Aquamarine with a touch of dark gray just to kind of tone it down a little bit so it's not so so bright. But SP was in the habit I guess replacing truck journal shims, I guess, with these weird colors. I've seen them blue, like dark blue, and, and basically that's the color SP had in the sack shops, I guess, when replacing truck journals. So thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, a little, it's a little touch I throw. I think a lot of my it's kind of a little like stamp, like you know uh, my own name stamp. I guess I put on when, you, uh, when I do an FP locomotive. I always kind of throw a, those one of those at least one truck side frame will have maybe the shims painted. That kind of like replacement shim. That's basically what they are. They're replacements. They're replacement shims from the originals.
0: Do you have those? Uh, do you encounter those uh, type of uh, details, Jim, there in the uh, real world up in Boston? Like what? Like what are you talking about? The uh, the shims uh, like blues and so forth.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean,
0: you do, um, you
2: know, like at, uh, freight car journals and stuff like that, they'll have the, you know, the, the, the blue on it. I, I know I took some, um, pictures the other day of uh, one of the F40s. They had had the, um, the axles replaced and it's the first time I've ever seen the bearing caps, bare metal. Mm-hmm. So it was a gun metal. I've never seen bearing caps that new. So I had to, a picture I was like, wow, can I think <laughs> They're actually silver. No, no, they're not the the roof brown that they normally end up turning. Um, okay, but yeah, that, that that's very odd. So I, you know, you see that. I mean, but that's a very uncommon. That's an. You uncommon know what I saw thing.
4: recently, Jim?
2: Yep. No, I, I don't saw,
4: know. A saw a raw metal wheel.
0: Yes. No. Yes. No. What? Huh? Huh? What? I
2: saw a metal wheel not rusted. No, on I a mean spray car. I've seen seen that. I had just never seen the the end caps. Apparently, they
4: didn't put the the railroads in put out their their paint jig and, you know, put it into the paint jig and hit it first, so. right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know if it's on the phone. Um, I may have the picture on the phone. Hey, Jim,
4: when you weather uh, Proto 48 stuff, do you find it more difficult
2: or easier to work with. It's different. Um, I like to, um, you know, for like rust spots and stuff like that, where the, the paint's bleeding, I like to um, put acrylic paint, so like um, polyester, something like that. I'll, I'll puddle on acrylic paint and then very quickly dab in powder before it has a chance to dry. And basically, and we all know that polyester dries been second. So you don't have a lot of time to do this. So you can't do a big yeah. puddle. But you try to jam the powder into the puddle, and what that does is it leaves a lip around. Wow. The, this works in HOs too. But it leaves a lip around the spot, so it looks like the paint's peeling up around the, the, uh, the, the rust spot. And, wow. Um, yeah. You have to do it what, really fast.
1: <laughs> what scale do you work in, Jim?
2: I've worked in HO and an O scale. But that effect okay. works in HO, and it works mm. in O. Okay. I, and what what I like wow. to do for roofs, uh, I normally like to paint it with acrylic paint and then put powder on it, or either mix, or or turn the powder into a paint. And you know, you got to dull out the roof first. And that's right. why normally, if you paint it first and then like put this slurry on the top, because every time yeah. I've seen a roof, it's never been really shiny. They turn a very They've got a texture to the the rust. Yeah, the galvanized texture. Yeah, the galvanized texture. So that's why yeah. I always like to use the powders because it look, has more of a texture than, say, just doing oils. Right. Right. Um, right. And since I'm lazy and I don't really feel like waiting for the oils to dry, <laughs> uh, I prefer to use acrylics because it goes a lot faster. The problem is right. if you screw it up, you're kind of stuck. But right. um, I really like the effect of... You know, puddling the paint and then sticking the powder in it immediately because of that—that little—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's a very subtle effect a lot of times, but uh-huh. to have that that lip around the rust is very uh, realistic, in my opinion. Yes, yeah, that sounds great. Wow, um, very simple. I mean, it's not complicated. I mean, I normally will use a rust-colored paint. You use a rust-colored paint as a base. You know, you're not doing anything bizarre that way. What other whatever's underneath is going to be. You know, if the powder doesn't stick to anything, it's not gonna stick out at you like right. You know, right. I'm, not, I'm not using wow. the paint I mean, I suppose in theory you could use the paint color on the side of the car, but because of this is so subtle, you don't notice the fact the lip is the same color as the rust right. as opposed to the surrounding color. So it may be worth trying using the surrounding color of the car and then dipping the, right. the powder in it. But that may change how the uh, the rust actually looks, so it may not work. Right.
1: You know, and summarily speaking, if I could to express to some of these people, it's like, honestly, the, the, the weathering demands as much attention to detail as any kind of, like, model building, I think, you know, it really does. That's yeah. you know, where you get your premium effect. effects. I mean, you, you just what you just described to me is like, wow, I mean, I would have thought, you know, you got, that's just some deep thinking right there. That's, you know, right. that's some deep know. thinking to, to try to get those effects.
0: Gary, let's talk about the your website. Fascinating okay. place.
1: Okay. Um because
0: you've got different cohorts there. You've got little mini articles and stuff like that.
1: Right. I was hoping you'd get around it. I really would, because I, I, I have to commend my friend Jeremy St. Peter. I mean I'm, you probably can hear his name quite a bit for me because the guy has just been phenomenal and he's kinda of like the the silent of the whole bunch of us and but his work is tremendous. You know, we met, like I said, at MTW. It was his model that basically influenced me. You know, Mellow Mike initially, and then when I saw Jeremy, uh, Grand Trunk Evans that we talked about earlier, that was it. I'm like, I want to do what this guy does right here. This was the best model I've ever seen. To this day, I still hold it, like, in the highest of esteem. Um, I wish I had a picture right now to show we could show could online or on the phone conversation how nice this car is. But it was the lure that got me, really put the hook in my jaw to come in and do this. Well, I joined MTW. Like I said, I went to his thread. We shared a great sense of humor together. and pretty I mean, me and this guy really clicked, you know, and, and so I started private messaging him and this and that, and that led to phone calls and stuff, and we became really good friends. Well, when NCW was kind of on the downwind, like I said, I don't think, Chris, I don't think you were involved as much towards the end. I didn't see much from you, I, you know, as far as moderating. You know, it was basically Hummer and Jerry Jackson, I think, were the only two left. Kind you
4: of know, I, I was kind of uh... – uh, I was I was in there watching. I was kind of lurking yeah. more than anything,
3: and, right? And, right.
4: And then I, I I got pulled away from it for, for I can't remember why, but yeah, I, I kind of remember that time.
2: Oh well, that's okay. what well, that's what I figured. Model, out. Model I figured trans, you. What that? I actually used to post a bunch of um, prototype photos on that. Uh, oh, did you? Yes, I did. What yeah, was your? Uh, what was your username there? Do you remember? I was either Jay Lincoln seventy eight fifty or Hot Rod. Oh yeah, yes, yes, Jay Lincoln. I remember you commented
1: on one of my things one time because the Lincoln, Nebraska, right? No, 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 what no
2: Mass, Massachusetts,
1: Massachusetts. I remember Jay Lincoln. I remember you commented. on, I wish the archives are so on because I do remember your name. I remember that. I remember you commented on one of my things once, and I, I, I just remember the name. Wow, wow. Yeah. Now, I I don't
2: know if I ever posted any model work or not, but I know I uh, I think I may have, but I know I yeah. uh, I I posted a lot of. One of the things I posted was I found you may you may remember this. I found still an original paint. I think it was like a Chicago Great Western two bay hopper. Maybe it wasn't Chicago. It was something. I think I do remember that. It was. Was like, it gray? Yeah, it was, it was a gray two bay a c f Coleman standard yeah yeah it was, it was, oh it was yeah it was an a c f two bay hopper and Eight. it was it was like it, it was chicago something and something and it was one of those i cannot even wow. remotely believe that this has not been it wasn't there i don't think there was graffiti on it, it was still in its original lettering, and somebody yeah. was like wow. i actually have that card <laughs> wow. It's like the main street of the shoreline.
1: Oh, Detroit, no, the Detroit, uh, the, what is the, it? DTNI, is it? Or? No, Detroit, no, Toledo, no. and Iron Tenth, or, or is DT, it DTNI or is it Shoreline? DTNS? DTNS. DTNS. Detroit, it, Toledo, it, and
2: Shoreline. Yeah, I think so. It was one of these, like, I cannot even, I was able to get both sides of it. Oh, of yeah, photos. you know what? I do remember that. I really do. I do
1: remember that. I remember the Herald was like, he kind of faded to a peak, it had scratches uh-huh. and rust all over the thing, and it was sitting in a yard or something. I remember yeah. cause my friend yeah. Jared Slusser, who, he was going to model, I think he might even use that as reference on, on one of his, uh yeah. yes, I do Cause remember, remember that car. Because a lot
2: of you guys were like, no, no way. Yes,
1: yes, I do remember, I commented on it. I do remember, like, wow, the and uh, I remember that. I'm like, who like, who could even find one of those roaming around anymore? Yes, I do remember that. Wow. Wow, isn't that a coincidence?
2: And stinking little, you know, Framingham, Massachusetts. Yes, yes I do
1: remember it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Jared Schlutter modeled one of those, and I think, yeah, as I remember, he when he was going through the project, he was, I think he used some of that
2: for reference shots.
1: He you used your picture.
4: Yeah,
2: he said, he said, he says, I have that car. I have that. It's an inter- I think it was an intermountain. Inter- mountain yeah. He said, I've got, yes. I've, got, I've got, like, the next number of that car. In fact, of- in fact, you know what? That model
1: that he did off—he got off your photograph. He might add some extra rust to it or something. But he ended up selling it to a guy named Yurand Rudy, who's also on the week. You'll see him on weekend photo thumbnails. He's a guy phenomenal photographer. He—that uh, car was just featured a couple. He put it on there a couple of weeks ago. As a matter of fact, oh, like cool, dredged it up. Yeah. anyway, back to the U.S. So, anyways, I met Jeremy at that—I uh, met Jeremy at the Model Trains Weathered. Um, this, this place was kind of on the downslope, and then. Um, there was kind of an underground consortium kind of formed at that time—a blog site. Uh, some of the guys from MTW, uh, Hummer, Dave Schrodel was on there. Jerry Jackson, Perry Lambert, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Jim Drennan. Some of the, you know, some of these guys were on there. Jared was in, and then I got an invite from Dave Schrodel to join this little crew, you know, of their blog site. And nobody knew about it because we kind of chalked trains and all our little weathering. Well. This kind of flourished into a bunch of us talking about putting together a site because I guess Dave, Hummer Dave Schrodel knows, he was really good friends with Rich Divizio, the owner of Model Trains, and he knew it was, it was on its downfall, it was going to be shutting down. So they wanted to kind of keep carrying the torch and keep the whole fire lit. So our conversations on this underground blog was about creating a website to, uh, keep the fire going. I mean, to keep the fire going and, uh, forum, galleries, the whole deal. So now, Jeremy and I, and I've concept was about, like, maybe within this thing, we kind of brought it out and put it at the t- on the table with this online blog thing, that we could get a gallery sector for each member and have the forum, the whole nine yards, and then, but each, each member have, like, a gallery page where they can sell models, do whatever, and gallery their stuff. And it just really never came, you know, it never really came about. Uh, Dave and Jerry branched off to create Proto Weathering, it is now, a Proto Modeler, it's the Proto Modeler website, forum. Um and Jeremy kind of – I talked about doing our own thing and creating uh, – he said, what do you think? We do our own thing and kind of create what we talked about with the gallery thing, because this wasn't happening with uh, Dave and Jerry. They went ahead and did the photo weathering website, and it was without the gallery. So we said, yeah, let's do it. I don't know the first thing about computers or, or building websites or anything. So Jeremy has that know-how. I just – like I said, I got in on the ground floor. It, I owe it all to him. He built the site within, I don't know, about a month's time, and um, we went online – on the 25th, it would be the 09, 09 08, or 09? I think 09. It went live online, and it took a while for it to get a little bit air under its wings. And what our whole objective was to like basically sit back in gallery. You know, there's no there's no obligation. To anybody was a member there. We were just kind of waiting to see the models around the world, globally. Anybody around the world, and see some of the best of the best. And we'd send them an invite. You know, and I don't want to sound like that's an arrogant approach at it. But we definitely wanted to keep the best of the best. I mean, I don't, we didn't want to put a line between mediocrity and, like, what we consider excellent modeling. But in the same breath, I mean, when you go to the store and buy some, a frozen dinner, a macaroni and cheese dinner, I mean, you don't go for the one that just says macaroni and cheese in a generic package. You go for the one on the right there it has got the picture of the macaroni with some green beans there and a little bit, of like, parsley, you know. The, you go for the, the one that looks really good at you know, the, the picture's selling itself, you know. And uh, that's kind of what we want, like, the best of the best to advertise the site. And, and as time time progressed, we just started kinda of like it started to snowball in effect. We was in the beginning it was just Jeremy and myself. We added Jared Sluster. Uh Jeff Kluke was on there. Uh he decided to opt out after a while. And then it's just been on it, we'll come up on five years this coming January being online and putting up a weekly Jeremy does this all by the way, not me. He's back in Illinois and he uh I, I make a, I give him a model a month. That was my agenda. I so said I'll give you a model a month. We've accumulated I think up to fifteen members. Some are active, more active than others. And as we progress, we still, like, if there's anybody out there, like we feel like really talented and we'll send them invite or whatever. And some people send us petitions to be on there and we kind of summarily look at their work and come to a decision type of thing. And to make, you know, like I said, I don't want it to sound arrogant, but we're just kind of basically gallery the best that we feel is like the very best out there. And that's, we've been online, I guess it coming up on five years. It'll be five years, of January 24th or 25th, right around that ballpark. And, uh, since the conception of the website, I try to adhere to my agenda of producing a model a month to hand to him. You know, I'll take all my pictures, go through them, um, get the do what I call my best shots or whatever. I give them usually 12, then I'll download them into a photo bucket account, and he can come catch them from there when he's ready to put one of mine up. And so we just rotate, and that's kind of where we are at now, and we're still still running strong. Um, once a week we still update on the site. Very cool.
0: Okay. Well it's an excellent site and I love all the, the photos and then like I said, I like the articles that mm-hmm. you know, the tips you guys put in there.
1: Right, right.
0: I Thank think you. that is really good. Oh, I do too. And I wish there
1: was more of that. It's kind of a time thing. You know, it's funny you find out after knowing some of these guys for so many years, like all of us, it seems like there's not one of us in that in our, you know, on the weathering shop who doesn't have at least two or three kids at home and these jobs are so demanding and you know, uh, to find time to even, to even like sit down and and compose an article or try to put something to know. I I wish there was more of that. And that's, you know, and I've there's time's going to come. I think where we're going to have more of that. You know, a lot of guys don't get around to like getting a lot of models done. And, you know, I used to, I used to try to, I used to, it was funny because I used to live in such like a panic mode that we wouldn't, when we had not so many members that we wouldn't have any content to keep the weekly update going that I would, Work as fast as I could use many models, what I call quote unquote banks into my photo bucket account. So in case we ran into a roadblock or somebody didn't have something, we could go ahead and put one of my models in there. And that's kind of where the concept of writing articles kind of came as a filler type of thing. If nobody had any content, we could bust out a real quick article and maybe update it there. But it turns out, like you said, I mean, having some of the information and articles there almost like stands for itself more so than just pictures of models. So I agree. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you I guys do, uh, buildings. Do we do, like, and, structures? Uh, track? Yeah. Um, are you talking
1: about layouts in this kind of thing? Does anybody have layouts on this? No, this where
0: you're applying your uh, your weathering well, and skills and stuff to make them more dramatic. Um, Rodney Walker
1: out of Canada, he's really big into dioramas and building, like, street scenes, and he does a lot of brick structures and this kind of thing. He's phenomenal. If you go to his page, you'll just see some of the – I mean, he's just outstanding stuff. In fact, I think he just completed – Another one that's going to be coming on here pretty quick. If I'm not mistaken, my conversation with Jeremy last week was he had something coming up from Rodney again, another diorama. So I don't personally, I've not done a lot of buildings. I have a diorama that I remember earlier in the in the podcast I was talking about. At one point I was going to build a diorama and I was doing kind of these Pelé Soberg uh, structures. Yes. I yes. saved them for years. I just had them on my, in my shelf in my closet. We have a walk-in closet. My wife was getting irritated with me because she goes, you know what? You know, I could use a lot of shoe space when you got all these stupid models sitting up there. (laughs) So to keep her in smiles and get them out of there, I thought, like, I'm not going to throw these away. And there's about 15 of these things for this uh, wraparound layout I was going to do. So I said, you know what? I grabbed a six-foot piece of extruded foam board and created a diorama with these buildings on there and did the whole street. And you'll see in some of my pictures, you'll see, like, some McDonald's and 76 stations in the background. That's those old buildings that I – Incorporated in this diorama, but I haven't really, your question, answer your question about doing buildings. I haven't done any. If, okay. if, they're, if, they're, if you're talking about buildings, you're talking about building models, right? Maybe I'm just mis- red. Yeah, mis- no,
0: read. no. Weathering buildings building. to make okay. them look okay. old and... Right. that Rodney Walker. And and techn- and technical
2: term that would help him. Right. Structures. Structure. Structures. There you go. Thank you, sir. Yes. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Okay. Jim. I'll let it, that out and I'll insert structures.
2: Okay. Have you worked on any – have you weathered any
0: right. structures? Right. Like, you right. Have you weathered side? any structures? No,
1: I caught I think I think I caught him from the first one. I was like, I think building – yeah, I I was hoping like I was on the right page. But Rod, no, no, Rod, no, no, Rod Walker is the one right that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rodney's really good at that stuff. He's uh he's done a lot of these um these older style – like what is the one? I can't remember the name of it. He did a really nice one where the, the – it's an old brick structure where it's all abandoned and there's boards over the windows and he's weathered the brick and there's the old uh, advertisements on the
2: side and he's really good. He's really good. I think one of the things about structures though is unlike many, much of what I've seen, although I don't peruse your website much anymore, um, Mm -hmm. Model Trains Weather was really prototype specific. You were, Mm -hmm. you know, guys, you know, you're finding a car, you're modeling it. It's not a you're, you know, you're, you're modeling ADMX 2591. That's what you're doing. Whereas yeah. just virtually all model structures are not, you know, I, I would say the big difference between what people do is this, not as many people are doing exact representations of model structures because they just yeah. happen to be mother cranking huge. Right. So, It's hard to do that. So it's, it's hard to, what you're doing with weathering on a structure is more of a general type of caricature. This is, this is how, I mean, you you have to take your principles of what you talked about of where the guy puts the the scratches in the wrong place. Well, certain things weather a certain way. You know. Right. You're going to get, you're going to get the weather coming from the bolts on the side of the, uh, on the side of the brick wall that were put there. Right. You know. 57 yes. years ago to hang a sign there, and now the sign's not there, but the bolts are there, and you know, so you got these strings of rust that come in a certain spot. So,
1: well, and also have a silhouette. You probably will have a silhouette of a cleaner brick underneath where the sign was, as opposed to the what, the ones that were exposed to element too.
2: Right, <laughs> but that, but yeah. you're not specifically doing a particular prototype. It's a right. You're you're going with you're going along more of weathering theory, shall we say. Well, yeah, the physics—I like to call it like yeah. the physics or weathering, yeah, the kind of thing.
3: Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 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 you
2: know, I would think it'd
1: give you a little more freelance liberty too. That's always what I right. talking about, like that kind of thing. It'd give you a little more, you know, a little more liberty to express yourself, you know, without like having to hear so, you know, stressfully to a prototype building. But keep in mind, like you said, that small things that are going to like make the impact—little bolt heads that are going to, you know, drain a little rust, a little rust bleed down from a you know, maybe a weatherhead or, uh, you know, an old service line outlet thing that's coming in the building. Mm-hmm. Structure, excuse <laughs> me.
2: But, it, it, yeah, right. Uh, well, I mean, you can say building as much as you want. I just, for him to ask the question, it was kind of like, you might want to say structure as opposed to building because, you know, building right, can, right. Mean, can mean am I building models or am I just weathering that's models I, or, yeah. or, am I, or am I weathering buildings? Right. Well, after I thought
1: like, I afterthought of, like, did he, did I hear him right? Did he say, like, are we talking about model building, or did I hear him like, talking about buildings are supposed to? Okay.
2: I mean, because we fair. had the first the first 45 minutes of this conversation where I wasn't on it. I wasn't here to give Paul a hard time. So, you know, i got to make up for it. <laughs> right. you got to make up for it now, huh, Jim? Uh-huh, yeah. Right. Yeah, I hear you. I
0: hear you.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just edited that part out. Like, you... <laughs> Jim wasn't able to make it for the rest of the phone right. call. We're sorry. <laughs>
4: We're just not used to not having Harrison chime in with his squeaky toy, Jim. That's all.
2: Well, you know. There you go. Yeah. There you go. Then
4: we have housekeeping. Housekeeping. Right. Housekeeping. <laughs> 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 oh, finally that hamburger
2: comes, huh, Jim? No, no hamburger. After, <laughs> I get, after I get off the phone call, i got to figure out what I'm going to go do for dinner. So, hey, Did you go by uh, Caboose Hobbies yet? No, I have no there's no way that I'd be, get down there. I have no car. Oh. I have no car. That's why, you know, when I posted things up, they're like, Oh, you gotta go do this and you gotta go do that, and it's like I have no car. Isn't uh, isn't Timonium coming up pretty soon too? Uh Timonium is really far away from Denver. Is it no no is, is the show coming? isn't there a show gonna be coming up soon? I generated a laugh right. That's, uh, I think is like every three months or something like that so it, there's always oh, a pum show coming up right there, okay. some yeah, are, like two of them two of them are better that's in Maryland which is fairly far away from right me. i've never never been to pnemonium um right. and um so it's uh, uh yeah there's two of them that are particularly good I think the one in the winter and the one in the fall are good and then the other two are kind of not as well at home wow. yeah. um I haven't got- But yet yeah, yeah, two years ago when I was in Denver, I went to Caboose Hobbies, and I also went to, um, to the Colorado State Railroad Museum, which isn't very far from where I'm at. But you know, when you have no car, it's far enough. Did you bring your camera, Jim? No, no. I was looking for my other camera. I mean, I've got always got. Yeah, always have the camera on the iPhone, so you know, I always have a camera. But I didn't have a. Uh, I don't have a behemoth, so. This was the nature. I knew I wasn't going to have a car, so I was like, ah, what's the point? Right. So, uh, it's just the nature of what I'm doing here. It was like this three days where I don't need, I don't even remotely need a car. So I didn't really feel like spending 300 bucks to have the car sit here. As convenient as it would be right now. But see, right outside the hotel is one of the main junction stations for the new light rail system. So I could walk down the hill and take the train, take the light rail into town to uh Union Station. So you know,
4: I, I I took the light rail and dropped me off really, really close to Caboose Hobbies. So, oh if really? you Get a wild hair for an adventure. That is a possibility.
2: Uh huh. Well, now, I've been to Caboose Hobbies, so and anyway, okay. it was it, it was interesting, you know. So the problem is when you're in O scale, they didn't have that much. Yeah. Uh, That, they didn't have that, although it did have a really, they did have a really good deal on something that I don't remember whether I, I think I got and I had them ship it to me, I don't remember. But it ended up being like, you know, if I had them ship it to me, the price of shipping was like only three dollars more than the cost of the tax and if I bought it and brought it with me, I'd have to pay tax. But if they shipped it to my house, it was only like three bucks more. It was ridiculous because they didn't charge me tax if it was shipped to me because it was like I'm on ordering ordering it online. So, yeah, it was kind of funny. I think I, I think I did that, but I don't quite remember. Quite two years ago. So,
0: <clears throat> okay. What else do we want to cover that's uh, really germane? What else do we want to get uh, out of uh, Gary? Because we end up in these rambles which become just a nightmare to edit out
1: but isn't that Aww. like the running
0: <laughs> you know you got to. well they I are just, because what happens is we start just talking and all of a sudden there's there's two minutes of really something cool and yeah. then you got to cut it out delete the other find a good place to paste it yeah so you know I what's like
1: funny i time. i did I just got back two weeks ago. I go once a year out to St. Louis to the Collinsville RPM, and you know we've kind of that's been our mainstay kind of meeting point for all the weathering stuff guys, because it's centrally located in the United States and kind of a nice mecca kind of hub for us all to meet. And you know you're saying that and I would go out there. I remember getting in a conversation. uh I was like trying to get out the door to go do something, and and I was leaving from my table. And I got in a conversation with Dave Hussey and a, a guy named Jim Costello, and we're standing there and we're kind of expounding on. He's like, well, what are your what are your thoughts? But, like, getting more involved with, like, Western RPMs and getting, I said, it, it's been like a grand thought. And pretty soon, like, we're jabbering and talking, <laughs> you know, and this goes on for, you know, two days straight. And i will get my buddies, like, looking over my shoulder, looking at their watch. got to go eat, dude. Let's go. You know, come on. I was like, it's the same. I just laugh because it's the same thing that's going on here. I mean, you can't get three guys or four guys talking about trains where we're not going to totally, you know, start deviating from the main thing. And that's. You know, get in our train story and stuff. Yeah. You know? Well, I don't mind
0: the digression, but it's uh, the, the editing. When there's uh, an inordinate amount of dead space on there.
3: Sure. Sure. You know,
0: on the oscillograph it's uh, okay, maybe we have milked this.
1: I think we left off with the we weathering just, shop the side we were talking about the site and that's you know, basically where we were we were at and so it's, it's been a good journey for five then years. Then
0: Jim's hamburger. Jim's, Jim's, uh, hamburger. Yeah, Jim's hamburger. I, and- I didn't get a hamburger. What did you get? I didn't get anything.
2: All they did is come and want to change the menu in the sting in, at the hotel room. It was a totally useless.
0: <laughs> so you're going out to dinner?
2: Probably. Hey, Jerry. I think by the time we get
1: off here, I'm going to want a hamburger just talking about it.
0: I've, I've got some thought. I'm drilling burgers tonight.
4: <laughs> well, what was your impression on uh, some of the, the weathering going on there? Do you think it's uh per- at, at where? Rest over the past uh, – run, run that by again, now. Chris. I
1: think I think okay. that the RPM, the weathering I'm seeing has
0: uh, – Chris has been uh, – his Wi-Fi bouncing him on and off.
1: Okay. I caught it. Just a bit of that. Uh, I, Did you say something to the effect of – what if I think about the weathering that I've seen like at the RPM out there over the course of time, if there's progression to it, or uh, was that kind of the
4: – Yeah, the, that's
1: the, the gist of it. This, the other modeling I'm seeing at the shows?
4: No, no, it's just that have you – do you think that weathering has advanced in the 10 years, in the past
1: 10 oh, years? Oh, incredibly. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I remember, like, like, like you know, when you and I and all of us were back at MTW back then, when before it's demise, I remember, like, in the beginning when I first got on there exploring – uh I mean even looking at Butch's stuff, Butch Eiler's stuff in the beginning, like it was good but not and just to watch him progress. And 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 people were doing hairspray with uh you know, like these hairspray um uh what do you call it? Uh and toothbrush, or what do you call that? A mask like a masking effect thing. People people are playing with that. There's a lot of powders, lots of powders. Um, I remember Mike Rose was kind of dabbling with oil. I don't know if he was on the side or not, but I remember at that time, like, there was kind of the oil thing, even though, like you said, Ken Patterson, I said, my what, what, uh, back quite a ways with oil. But, yes, in the last, gosh, how long have I been doing this now, about 10 years, I've seen this incredible progression. And it's funny because we all kind of, like, sit around that same camp and we pass on, you know, techniques to one another, you know. now that, that was something I tried to like expound on, um, you know, I was talking to Ken. He did a little interview with me back there um, for What's need, I guess it's a What's neat. He's supposed to have it in this coming up next next month. The biggest thing to me was like, I, I I don't how do you say this? It, it's it's progressed, and it's only because we as modelers we do weather and have a passion for weather and share what we know. There's some out there that don't. They kind of covet what they know. And it used to frustrate me. It's like, how did he do that? I mean, like, we can go full circle with this conversation and go back to the whole thing where I didn't know how to dull code. Well, it took me forever to figure that I was going to shed light in a little magazine, but nobody was going to tell me. Nobody was expounding on that on, on forums or anything else. I did right. see a little bit, you know. So those, those who coveted to keep, like, whatever they knew secret or whatever. I know Tom Mann wrote a book. I don't know how B. I've never read it. So I don't know how B, he talked about what he used for mediums or whatnot. Kudos if he did. I know Mellow Mike would never, to this day, we'll talk about how he does some of his stuff. Um, and I don't like it, yeah. said I do not Mellow Mike. Oh, okay. Mellow Mike's website. Yeah, and I always looked up to him, but he never would really kind of, he doesn't, he's basically kind of an island. He does his own thing. And, right. uh, if he's listening, if he listens to this, you know, hats off to him, not downplay him by any means, because I do have respect for him. But he, uh, he never really kind of let out what he knew how to do. And for that alone, I think when I started my journey doing this, and you know as I progressed, I always kind of wanted to share because I thought to myself well how does how do we as human beings get better what if our teachers never like told us history or never talked to us about what they knew you, that's the whole that's the whole like the human experience you share what you know and you pass it on to your children and the young
2: ones, and you teach each other you know that's how we we get by so I mean the other you know, thing is is that it doesn't matter mm-hmm. it doesn't matter whether you tell me exactly how to do something. Yeah. I may not That's have right. the artistic ability to do what you do. I remember a um, an experience. Uh, well, not an experience of mine, but I remember a story. Um, a guy from I think it had to do with uh, you know the New England Patriots from way long time ago, and uh-huh. one of the one of the members of the opposing team was pissed off at the coach, so went into the Patriots and gave them their game plan. I mean, not wow. the Patriots, but it was, they gave the opposing team the game plan, and they still lost. <laughs> yeah, so what is it? They knew they <laughs> they knew exactly what they were going to do on every yeah. single play, who they were going to throw to, what they were going to do, but it didn't make any difference because our yeah. yeah. team was just so good that they didn't have anybody that could counter what they were doing. And in, I think in like manner, a lot of what people do, um, either the, you know, Either the effect won't work for me because I just yeah. can't wrap my mind around now, I may be able to do something equivalent but doing it a different mm-hmm. way, but there's a lot of people that just don't – I mean, no offense to anybody listening to this – that just don't have the ability. Yeah. If they, they, they don't – they, they're great at electronics, but they're not good. Right. They're not artists.
1: Right, Jim. And, so yeah, and you yeah. know what else? You know what I can add to that, too, and what I've noticed in my own personal experience and, like, observations in the course that I've been, like, online on these forums, you know, we have this Rust Bucket forum that's been online about as long as the forum has, maybe a year off the mark. Maybe it's been online for about three and a half years. But the fellows that come on, what I've noticed more than anything, the ones who make the most headway are the ones who, like, come in there with, like, an open mind to, like, want to run, and they stay at it, and they just keep doing it, and they just keep doing it, and they just keep doing it. And you just see this literally, like, this morphing of their skills and it's it's mm-hmm. it's like the richest I can't even describe like the, the most the satisfaction I get out of like what we've all shared, not just me, but as a whole, as like our members or whatever they're on the forum and, and like sharing thoughts and techniques and ideas and watch somebody grab a hold of that. And, and then
2: and then I bet you oh, run you, with you, it. You know, being as good at it as you are, you may sometimes this new guy comes in and does something and you like stink. Mm-hmm. I would have thought of doing that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The light comes. The light I, comes I, on I, again. Yeah, I gotta try that. Man, that's a good yeah. idea. you know,
1: it, it, it's unbelievable. It really is. I mean, there was a there was at one point I was like uh, out of blue for whatever reason I thought about. I was out of my workbench one day and I was doing like a cotton belt Gunderson one day, this this high cube paper service Gunderson, and I was like, it was an E and C shop, or it might have been like a Walter. It might have been a Walter. I don't know. It was an E and C shop. They are. They've been like way out of business. But I used to like them. I used to hoard those things because they were like it's close to really a refine ladders and add, like, separate end ladders and this kind of stuff. So I had a whole slew of these old e and shops like Gunderson that I, you know, uh, staffed away. So I was working on this one one day, and I'm, like, getting ready to do the tack board. And I'm thinking to myself, why am I painting the tack board? Why should I just probably use real wood? So I grabbed up a popsicle stick, or a coffee, wooden coffee stir stick, and I took a razor blade and basically ripped it down the middle. I think I got a few fingers in the, in the mishap, but I put some bandage on then. And then I ripped it down. I ripped it down the middle. Then I took an emery board, like a nail file, or I put it on my workbench, and I literally just went back and forth and brought it down to almost a paper thin. Literally, you can almost, like, see through it. It was that thin by just sanding it down, measured the size of the tack board frame on the model, and then just cut it out and glued it on there and then weathered it with a little acrylic washes. And and I set that on the form, and I get a little tutorial on it. And people were like, oh, my gosh. And now, like, everybody and their brother on there. When they post their models, they've got these like wooden tack boards. And I just kind of sit back and I don't even I didn't, I'm not going to say this for the listener that I'm not the one to innovate. Maybe I didn't innovate that. I don't know. I wouldn't know. Maybe I did. I don't know. But I, it was something that was new to me that I thought maybe that'll work better than all these guys that struggle to paint them, you know. And I know some models now they come with the grain like exact rails. Some of the better exact rails are the Genesis models that you have actually a wood grain that you could paint or whatever. But I just thought the real wood might be kind of a nice touch. Now, to watch these guys. you know, they'll post their models and have they're using real wood tack boards. It's kind of a nice, uh, like, wow. You know, I I could help out here. I could kind of contribute to the hobby and say, hey, I'm, you know, here you go, guys.
2: I'm, now, now, I, I on, care, my, uh, on on my um my uh my Pro 48 box car, I did the same thing because I figured yeah. uh, because that's so much bigger anyway. Um, yeah, you know, I used I think O scale one by something. You know, one right. by sixes. So you have two boards together, and then for the frame, I use tin foil. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Because I figured anything else you'd use is going to be too thick. So I used tinfoil right. and, and cut it, you know, and wrapped it around it, and then cut there it. There you go. So that it. So that it. Good idea. It and then, then you glued it, then glued it on the side, and then uh, I did, you know, other weird. I mean, I I, I made I built a a, um, a working cushion underframe. Did you really? Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not like the one on a, on a, on a, um, the KD. I mean, the KD one's really right. like. I mean, each one it's is, it's, it's not a whole, it's not a cushion under frame, it's a cushion coupler. Right. Um, okay. But, you know, you no know, silly so It's like a draft, like a draft gear. A car Yeah. Cushion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has yeah. like so a draft you, gear behind it, right? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, I, I went and I took measurements off a car and, and, and made it and it's got all the bolts in it and, you know. All the what scale? That's it. an O-scale, Jim? That's O-scale, yeah. Okay, yeah. And, and I, you know, I took spring steel and made my own springs so that the thing actually, you push in it and it pushes in and comes out, you know, so nope. it actually works. <laughs> yeah, that <it> works. <laughs> nice. Wow. That's cool. That's really um, cool. I mean. What
0: are you going to do? A hydraulic version of that? Cause that's how they work. No. I'm just asking. Uh never.
2: <laughs>
1: just a stick in the shop here.
2: <laughs> no, he he just does that to me because I, I I have a tendency to you know, I build uh I design parts and print them in O scale and I and I make I I'm, I'm working on this turnout that has, you know, the the clips and like things he, that don't exist. Um, you know, I I put in the rail bonds and you know, all that right. fun stuff and you know that's why he's giving me a hard time
0: yeah, he does need <laughs> stuff i just like busting his chops
2: yeah. right so, is, is chris still with us he's still there
1: chris i am okay you're just awful silent you? <laughs> i don't know, if you, you know, you know my, my like. wi-fi
4: keeps going in and out over here so it's been kind of like a I comedy
1: think. of errors. so right no, that was, yeah, it was your question. I did. I have seen a lot of progression, and I really have. And uh you know, it's like you said, like Rick, you recall the earlier days at MTW and stuff. And from what it is then to what it is now, you know, there's there's some guys that are just like, there's guys that literally just blow me away with it with their work. You know, like and they have come out of like uh, nowhere. There's a, there's a guy on our uh, website called Kevin Packard. His name's Kevin Packard, and he. uh I remember his first few posts. I mean, I was looking at this stuff like, okay, that's pretty neat. You know, and like and now. This guy, I mean, out of nowhere, I remember, I remember he'd take photos outdoors and he'd always catch like things like roof apexes in there, you'd see, or a kid on a bicycle in the back and throw everything out of scale, or even like a power pole behind the house or something, you know. And, like, I, and I was like, emphasizing these guys, like, you know, like, photographing these for presentation is part of that whole illusion package that we were talking about earlier. And it's like, it's part it's of the bigger pictures of the whole, like, modeling experience to try to get as realistic as a picture shot of, the, of this model. And this guy out of nowhere, I don't know what kind of camera he bought, and to this day I, I probably couldn't remember if he threw it at me 20 minutes ago, would remember the name, but out of nowhere, he offers up these pictures at the, at the forum or at the weathering shop, and I was like, hard pressed beyond words to see if that was like, that that's like, this guy's, this guy's pulling my leg, that's a real, you know, photograph of a Burlington Northern locomotive here.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: And, and just it, it, it set me back in my chair, it was like, this moment of like, it was a mixed emotions. Like I wasn't jealous. I don't get jealous of that sort of thing. I you know, I don't feel challenged or, you know, or tempted by anybody in the hobby. That's not how I am as a person. So I, I wouldn't carry over into the hobby. I, I like, I like seeing good modeling. I don't feel like threatened or anything. But when I sat there in my chair it was like this feeling of like, cause for the longest time, I kept telling Kevin, like, I love your shot, but you, 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 the pictures like toward the end of the, where you see like the second picture, like of the train and a up. It's all blurry back there, and you can see like a, you know. A power pole or something, and him to change his game out of nowhere, come out of it, and like this guy has gone from like, I can't even describe his work then as opposed to it is now, and it's like just to watch it is satisfying, and and unbelievable. I mean, you know, I can't even describe in words like how he is, like wow, but, you know, yeah. So there's there's guys, and it makes me wonder sometimes. I think to myself, well, where is this all going to go next? I mean, who's who's going to go? You know, who's who's you know who's going to go where next? And then the thing I can say about Kevin is his perseverance. It was like this guy was not willing to sit down and just throw it in or, or say, I'm good enough. He never, and to this day, this guy could put up the best of the best I think I've ever seen in modeling as far as photographing and even the model itself. He did, if you ever get a chance, please go look at his, um, his, uh, BNSF. It's a Dash 8 he did. It's, it's a World War Bonnet Dash 8 he did. And I, it, it's one of the best, uh, Brian Banner called it one of the best. Probably the best weathered models he's ever seen over at Diesel Detailer, and I agree. And that one, Jeremy's box car, that GT box car, neck and neck for the two best models I've ever seen. And the, the thing about Kevin was like, like I said, he's watching him want it that bad and his perseverance. And to this day, the guy will still go like, uh, I don't think it's good enough. I, I got a lot more to learn. And like you're just being, you're just being like, you're just being a joke, right? Now. You're just kidding, me, right? He's like, no, I got a lot to learn. I'm like, Well, that's a good attitude, then, you know, because we all do. I don't ever, you know. Anybody says they're there, they've got, they got it. They're just setting themselves up for like, for defeat or, or failure because we all have so much to still learn. I could learn from Chris, Jim, you, Paul. I mean, and I could give you guys something in return. You know what I'm saying?
2: And, and even if you say you're an expert at doing rail boxes, mm-hmm. and, and you, no one can argue with you, For instance, weathering a yellow car is totally different than weathering a red one. Yeah, or weathering, uh, you know, a gray one, or we, you know, so just because you're really good at something doesn't mean you know how to do everything.
3: That you've and mastered
2: it. Yeah, I mean, the principles yeah. are generally the same, but they're, it's different.
1: Right. We have a code, it's funny because we have a code, like when you first sign up at the forum, we don't encourage people to look at it, but we do have a code of like the, the code of the bucket, we call it on the forum, and if you read that, it says if you walk into this place, Using the word master, you might as well just leave it at the door, turn back around because there's no masters here. So leave the word master at the door. Come on in, share what you know, and we'll share what we know, and let's all have fun. That's what it's all about, F-U-N, you know. I agree. I totally agree. You know, Gary, you you brought up a good question about, like,
4: so what's next about, Mm you know, really high-quality photos like that? Well, it's going to be high-quality moving pictures. Yes. Yeah. You know, and, and, yes. and Ken, I gotta hand it over to Ken Patterson because he's really I'm gonna agree to push with it. that. Yeah. Um, it's something yeah. that him and Dave Davis have been talking about for years about like getting, getting the, the actual animation to go along with the realism. I mean, taking a photograph of a still machine is one thing, mm-hmm. but these yeah. things really move. And you, if you can duplicate <laughs> that, it's yes. just going it, to, it's going to just really up the ante on everything.
1: So. Did you see his, I'm, I'm not you kidding. Know, like I know you saw it because everybody has seen his, I think it had one of the higher, uh, uh, feedback ratings on MRH. His, uh, it's titled This Is Crazy where him and Joe Steinman are doing the run by on that lengthy diorama in his yard of that Mopac and some of Bud, uh, Mike Buddy's, uh, auto racks. Did you see that video? I did. Incredible. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, I'm sitting there looking at this going, oh my gosh, I mean, like this is the next realm. This is, this is the next step, you know the sound, the sound, everything, everything associated. Yeah, yeah I agree with you 100%. And Ken Patterson, I was just out there two weeks over at his place and, uh, yeah, the guy is something else. And, and wow.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, I'm looking forward on working with him on a few things uh, I got going on for Athern. So, you know. He does, he
0: does and, your guy's photography, doesn't he?
4: Yes. He
0: does. Okay. I thought I recognized the, uh, the background on, uh, one of the ads. I thought, Ah, I bet you it's Ken Patterson.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay.
4: Yeah, well, he, Chris, uh,
0: you, you said you had to go? Yeah,
4: I, I got to head up and uh, meet Tim Dickinson and a few other modelers for dinner. And uh, I told them I'd be there at 6, and it takes me a half hour to get there, so I got so to be ahead. So you're going to be
0: late almost.
4: So. All
0: right. But Gary, what? it's
4: great talking with you and Jim. You too, Chris. It's been a long time to want to meet on you. On way back to Denver, or from Denver,
2: yeah, thank you. I'll try.
0: All right. Yep. Good meeting hey, you, Chris. I appreciate to you. your time. Uh-huh. Okay. I appreciate the time yeah. uh, today.
1: Well, thank you, too. And, thank uh, you for this opportunity.
0: Oh, no, well, great. And, Jim, I'm glad you were able to make it. You always contribute, so.
2: Well, it also gives you a chance to go do whatever you do and. You know, clippy, clippy fingernails, which you didn't do this time. Yeah. Uh, I know. Is, I
0: purposely did the <laughs> yeah. nail clippers. It was yeah. Nice
1: to uh, nice to meet you too, Jim. in fact, I'm yeah. gonna have to go search online for a DT and I, a DT S uh, tube, and then and maybe use your photo as a reference and try to try to surprise you maybe someday. <laughs> oh, okay. I,
2: I, yeah, I, I don't remember if I ever posted any actual weathering shots, other than I mean the models. I mean.
1: Yeah, uh, I no. I, I, I was, remember the I remember right. the photograph of the real one you had, and that have to be a good reference shot.
2: Right. Yeah, and there weren't too many. I t- I think I used to put in a lot of Chessie system two bays because uh, mm. we used to get a bunch of those, and people always liked them. So. Right. Awesome. Well, it's nice to meet you. Really nice to meet yep. you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. It was too funny because okay. I didn't know I, I, I didn't know what you were talking about at first. I'm like, oh, you mean. Model trains weathered? Oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. I'm thinking oh, yeah. MTW, MTW. Yeah, that, is, was what a, MT... that was the root of it for me. Yeah, right there, MTW. Model trains Weather. Yeah, because I remembered uh, uh, Hummer Dave, I remember that name, and Rich Divizio, yeah. and
0: Oh, yeah, Jerry Jackson. Yeah, I remember Hummer Dave. Yeah, yeah. He, he's still
1: doing clinics. He does lots of clinics back there. He was at, he was, yeah, I just met him again. He had, he's been out every year to Collinsville, and he has a hands-on, which is really neat because, uh, you know, we, we do demos at our tables, but Dave actually will have guys bring their models to the table. He opens it like an open invite to bring their models, and he'll help you weather them on like, cool. the, like kind of a hands-on. And that, that, you know, that's commendable to the fact that, you know, a lot of people don't have the time or patience to deal with like a novice, and I got to throw my hat off to Dave, too, for like doing that. So Hummer's a pretty, pretty good guy, man. That's cool. So.
0: All right. Well, okay. I think this wraps it up. Alrighty.
1: All righty. Well, thank you, Paul, for having me on the show.
0: Oh, our pleasure. Yes. Our Hi, a yeah. pleasure, Gary. Okay. okay. When do you, James? When do you uh, get back to Boston? Uh,
2: tomorrow. Five o'clock tomorrow uh, Tuesday morning.
0: Oh. Tomorrow. Oh my
2: gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I leave here eleven eleven ten. The flight's eleven ten p.m. out of Denver tomorrow. <sighs> It's just the way it, it ended up. It was like a hundred dollars less, or it's like a hundred and fifty dollars less to go tomorrow as opposed well to today. So yeah. I figured, as long know, as the weather's not, good, you're not sitting in the
1: airport for three hours like I did. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. The yep. um, you know the weather right now is beautiful. You know, good, like seventy degrees and per, no humidity. It. It's wonderful.
1: That's good because when I came through two weeks ago, it was, like it was thundering here. In fact, when I left Portland, it was. Beautiful in Portland. And I remember the flight was a little bit bumpy before I landed in Denver. I always have a one-stop over in Denver to, before I go to St. Louis. So Thursday night, it's like the night all the, all the guys from the, the show meet up and they go have dinner and talk models at the dinner table. And I said, I might be able to squeeze in because year after year after year, I, I get in too late. I mean, you know, I took a flight out of um, – I used to take flights out of Eugene, Oregon, down to San Francisco, and then on to Phoenix, and then Phoenix to St. Louis. And I would have to get in about midnight or whatever. So this time, I'm like, all right, I'll be able to make the dinner on Thursday. So I got on my plane at 1 o'clock, got into Denver, oh, was it 3 o'clock, and didn't get out of there like at 9 at night, I think it was. They had to delay the flight for like three to four hours on account of the weather. So nice. once again, I didn't get into St. Louis until about midnight. And Oh, well, at least I made it there and back. But anyways, good. I hope you have a good flight. I hope everything goes well for you, Jim.
2: Thank you. Nice pleasure yeah. talking right, to you. All right, gentlemen.
1: Okay. I'm going to head on in then. Thanks a lot, Paul.
0: All right. So All I'll right, buddy. You,
1: Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye-bye.